What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello and welcome to the 2023 college football season. You are listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild and a proud member of the Herd At Sports Network. I'm Drew, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew, and thank you all for joining us. For those new to the show, each episode, Drew and I will sample craft beverages, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. At, isn't it? It's X now, actually. at On X, Facebook, or Instagram. I at refuse. Walk-Ons for the most most up-to-date show information. Look, let's derail this right here, right now. <laughs> I, I wish Twitter wasn't a tool, or X, or whatever it is, to to get the word out there, you know, but we use what we have to. You gotta do it. It is just a cesspool of <laughs> the the worst of humanity. Somehow they digitized it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to sift through, you know, you know what? in a little downtime. I'm addicted but... like everyone else. I don't want to pretend I'm above it. <laughs> so, forgive me. For writing out Twitter on the uh, no, that's okay. on the intro. That's fair. I just don't want to confuse anybody. Can you? Can you? We encourage you to follow us on X. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we do. Yeah, we do. Please follow us in on that the, cesspool. The app formerly known as Twitter. Oh, nice. And now it's a symbol. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, okay I'm bought in now. Cool. Because Prince is great. Yeah, I love Prince. Yeah. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on X. No, <laughs> wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Ben and I take a look at the first half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule while sipping on libations from Thunderhead Brewing in Kearney, Nebraska. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walkons. So Drew, it's been a long time coming. We've talked about the the studio, quote unquote, kind of getting an upgrade. Uh, we finally made it. We went from a card table, and now we're yeah. sitting on a on a couch. Yeah, very very comfortably. As yeah. a matter of fact, yeah, we have we have evolved into what we've always wanted to be, which is a couple of guys sitting on the couch, talking sports and drinking beer, and talking beer and drinking sports. I like you know it. the yeah. old the old one two punch. I feel like we finally made it. Hey, punch. That's yeah. a good. Yeah, we're going to get into up. what we're talking about. Before we dive into that, though, you know, we have our 
patented bullshit section of our of our show where we we go off the rails and we started the bullshit we, early with we that did already <laughs> comparing yeah. this is what happens when you put us on a couch i think because yeah just get a little loosey-goosey put us on a couch and we're just com- gonna complain about everything you know <laughs> that's the new show i mean that's that's pretty much what we do right is we either complain or celebrate yeah yeah uh, what, what else are you supposed to do welcome to the new wannabe walk-ons podcast subtitled complain or celebrate I don't know. I don't know if this if this piece is is complaining, if it's celebrating kind of what we talked about that we're going to talk about off air. We're going to talk about it on air, but we record these these preview episodes a little early, so that way when the season kicks off, we haven't just been doing these back to back to back to back. So we like to spread them out a little bit. And uh, the time that we happen to be recording this episode is about two weeks before the episode set to air. And what just happened in Husker football, like current affairs, is that Bob Wager was removed. From the team, he resigned um, mm-hmm. after a DWI open container uh, incident where he was uh, arrested by Lincoln police. And I don't want to dwell on the actual incident itself as far as, you know, we both have the same opinion. We've shared this last year when players got into uh, driving under the influence. We're both in the same camp where it's like call for a ride. The resources are there. They're available. We do not condone drinking and driving in the slightest. You know, I don't want to speak for you on that on that part. I don't know if you feel differently. No, not at all. Okay. No, yeah. Perfect. Not at all. Yeah. I'm glad we're in alignment there. Um, what I want to talk about, though, is is just the immediate accountability coming from the head honcho, from Matt Rule, and the way that he's clearly running his staff of there's, you know, there's no BS mm-hmm. in our program. We are here to set an example. He talked a lot in Big Ten Media Days about how he wants his players to be better people and their lives be better for it coming through his program. And incidences like these, although, you know, they are, they're human mistakes and they're things that people can grow from and, and continue to be successful and build and be better people from like, like a DWI or something like that. It's, you know, it's not the end all be all, um, thing where you have to hang your reputation on that. But, uh, but just that Matt rule is, is so swift at saying it's not going to work out. Yeah. That's, this is not the program we're running. Yep. It was very open and closed matter. Mm-hmm. It happened. And I, and I don't feel like there's a a whole lot of chatter around it. There's a little bit, um, but it seems like it was just, hey, it happened and, and we're going to move on. And maybe once fall camp kicks off, we'll probably, and, and they have media access to some of the coaches and players, maybe it comes up a little bit more and comes back into the light. But um, yeah, it seems very, very cut and dry. And I think the fact that um, that Bob resigned, that they didn't let him go is another indication that, that um, of, of how Matt Rule wants to run his program. He, he gave that, I think, that power to Bob to say, hey, we, we're going to have you step aside, but we're going to let you do it, um, and, and we're just going to part ways and move on. Yeah. Um, no no controversy, no scandal. Um, that's just the end of it. Yeah. So You've, you've been um, not shy in, in saying that I don't buy into Matt Rule as much as you have so far right away, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm tempering expectation. I am that's bought fair. into no, Matt fair. Rule. Yeah. You know, I, I am drinking the rule aid. We're both drinking it right now. This is, oh, absolutely, this is 100%. Yeah. <laughs> they should just rebrand this, you know, and get on that and that train. We'll talk about the thunder punch that we're enjoying right now, but, um, everything that he has done and said, you know, he's backed up his words with actions in, in any way that he can. He talks about being a member of the Lincoln community. People see him out and about enjoying dinner and, and going to different sporting events and supporting the Huskers all around. Um, he's been a, a great leader already. 
to these young men, every talking point where, you know, there's guys who come into his office and they want more playing time. He encourages them to go seek it out. We're going to help you find a great landing spot. If it's not right for you here, every little thing. And then this to me actually comes across as another, another mark where I'm like, I'm bought in even more because there is something that he's trying to build here and he's sticking to his words. You know, it's, it's not one of those like, well, they say that, but no, this, this is what's happening. Yeah. And so I, I really respect that. And, and that to me is um, not to use the C word in culture, but like that's where culture starts, right? Is you hold people accountable and you back up the things you say with action. Right. Right. That can be good or bad. Uh, and right now it looks pretty darn good. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So let's move in then to talking about this thing that we're kind of dancing around, which is this, this wonderful drink from Thunderhead Brewing Company. Uh, we're enjoying Thunder Punch. It is grape flavored you know it's not uh, it's not a hop flavor it's not anything like that I mean this is true I was gonna say true blue but it's kind of true hazy purple artificial flavoring and boy is it tasty it's but bef- so good yeah before yeah. we dive into kind of describing this little guy I've just got some highlights you know normally I go into this whole spiel but I think sometimes people just want the highlights this is the kind of drink where it's like just give it to me quick because okay. I just want to enjoy it yeah so uh, Thunderhead Brewing is one of Nebraska's longest-running breweries. Uh, they were founded in 1999 and still owned by brewmaster Trevor Shaben. He partnered with his wife Jenny and his parents Pam and Henry to get the brewery off the ground. Thunderhead started in a small garage with an eight-seat tap room and only a 30-gallon system. So they weren't even on a one-barrel system when they got oh. off the ground. They were they were one gallon shy of a full a full barrel. With eight seats, they primarily were focused on selling like growlers. They were trying to get beer to go, brewing their own beer, getting their name out there, that sort of thing. And uh, that took off. So by 2000, they actually moved into a full service pub. Their beer was popular enough to where they could handle, you know, opening up basically a restaurant uh, to partner with that beer and, and going that direction. They began canning in 2006. Now, how familiar are you with Thunderhead's lineup? Um, I've had a few, quite a few of their beers. Okay. Yeah. Would you want to take a guess at which beer was the first beer that they officially canned for distribution? The crop, is it crop duster? Or am I anywhere close to what they're, I don't remember. Crop name. dusters is yeah. definitely one of their beers. Yeah. Um, no, but it is in their sample pack lineup that crop duster is a part of, and it's the golden frow. Okay. Um, so the golden frow wheat was the first beer that they started canning. Uh, that has actually expanded into double-digit offerings, inclu- including their incredibly popular Thunder Punch. Um, so Thunderhead Brewing draws their name from thunderstorms that cover the Great Plains. Obviously, we know what a Thunderhead is. It's that, that cloud front that rolls in right before the big old storm. And uh, just like the brewery, when Thunderheads arrive, a storm is a brewing. You can visit their website. Um, and the reason that I, I also kind of pared this down is I didn't want to spoil what's actually on their website. They have a whole YouTube series of the history of beers. Like each specific beer has its own little history. And they do these really cool interviews where they sit down and kind of talk through the genesis of an idea and then how it became a beer. Thunder Punch is on there as well. Um, Like I said, I don't want to spoil a ton of it. But what I will say, and you're going to find this insane. Thunder Punch came out of the idea that they wanted something else besides beer for those who aren't craft beer drinkers. So they were like, well, people like soda. So let's just make a hard soda. And that's all it is, right? The first batch they brewed was 15 gallons. Okay. Eventually, they were moving 200 gallons per month of Thunder Punch. 
before they decided to can it. So like, wow, like an insane amount of this Thunder Punch is incredibly popular. Once they put it in the cans, I picked it up yeah. and it became like my go to 11 o'clock game. Like if I'm having like fried chicken or if I'm having um, some like really good fried food or a burger or something like that to watch mm-hmm. an 11 a.m. kickoff. It was like the perfect pairing because it, it tiptoes that like fast foody kind of quick feel with yeah. kind of getting my drink on as well. I like that. So that's a little intro to uh, to Thunderhead. But like I said, we are enjoying Thunder Punch. This is the grape flavor. They also have lime and cherry available in cans as well. But Drew, what are your what are your first thoughts coming off this? I know it was the first time you've tried Thunder Punch. Yeah, no, this is really good. Um, it's it's not too sweet. I was afraid it was going to be way too sweet or like that way too artificial tasting. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's just a nice like grape flavor. It's not super duper bubbly. Um, the way that maybe a soda is or a seltzer is, which um, which is which is fine sometimes, but it's not always something that I want to have like that over carbonated um, feeling. And so like yeah, this just kind of hits a spot. And I can see what you're saying, like finding the right right time to have one of these. And and uh, right now, it, I think that's it. <laughs> just <laughs> so, chilling on a couch. Yeah. In the in in July August where it's hot out, mm-hmm. and we get to just enjoy this. I mean, if you like grape Fanta. You will like Thunder Punch. Yeah. Like, dangerously. That's a, good, that's a really good comparison. Yeah. I haven't had Phantom forever, but that is, yeah. yeah. It's a very, if you've had it, you know yeah. what it is. It's yeah. just that nice grape flavor. And, yeah, like you said, it's not too bubbly. It does not have artificial sweetener. You can tell when a drink has that kind of artificial fake sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that kind of turns me away from seltzers is it's like, I don't really want to drink this artificially stuff. Just give me the real sugar. You know, just yeah. give me the real stuff. I like to pretend like I care what I put into my body. And yeah. I like that they give me that option. I, I like <laughs> I know? like my my sugar to come from natural corn. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want my sugar coming from, you know, some laboratory. I want you to take the corn that's grown <laughs> in my state, do whatever chemical process you have to, but I know that came from the ground. Yeah. You know, and that's what's important <laughs> to me. Does it need to be raw sugar cane? No. no. But it does need to be high fructose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some food biologist who's like, you guys have this all wrong. Yeah, it probably. All, it all gives you cancer and you're just, you know, you're up a river. So keep enjoying your sugar water. And you know what as I say? As long as we're happy while we're doing it. I will enjoy this. Okay. So good. I cannot tell you how many of these things I crushed. Like, I think, I think they started canning them. I might have been smart about it in like 2020 or 2020, like 2019, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And at literally every 11 a.m. game, I, I made sure to have. I, you know, you and you brought it up I, on multiple occasions, just how good it was. And I was like, yeah, but it's, you know, fruit. It's a fruit, yeah. fruit beverage, you know, or it's, it's fruity, it's grapey, whatever. I don't know, wasn't interested and I regret, I regret never. It's just a nice, like, I'm not going to say that I'm going to drink a, a dozen of these. I'm not going to, you know, this isn't going to be my drink for the whole game. But like, it's just a nice way. It's a nice transition from like your morning coffee let me have something a little bit sweeter so I'm not like feeling super heavy right out of the gate, mm-hmm. but I'm still getting the party going. Yeah. 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 I love that. So there you go. So that is Thunder Punch. I'm glad that uh, that I could welcome you to the Thunder Punch family uh, while we're sitting back, kicking back. Yeah. Thank talking you. Ba- football. Baptized in Thunder Punch. That's the way to go. There you go. Well, I would say before we move on, it's always important for us to mention our, our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. 
Um, in our outline, I have you saying this part, but I'm going to go ahead and just lead the transition. We'll just swap swap lines here. How's that sound? Okay, here? I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> you just read the part that says Ben. <laughs> Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show know Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. Well done. I think you can also find them on X. <laughs> so... <laughs> I hope that I hope that all of the social medias just change their name to a letter. So like you can find them on X, you can get them on F, you can find them on I. That would be incredible. Yeah. Or just alphabet soup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does it really matter? Because I'm not reading every time I open them up. I'm just going to the icon. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. They could all just be little symbols. I mean, essentially, they That's are they, what right? they are. They are right yeah. now anyway. So. And emojis are that. Yeah. What you know, would we be if we were would you, W? Should we take, we should probably claim W before oh, somebody else should. does. W.com. www.w.w. <laughs> what I like is the fact that ancient Egyptians could get in a time machine and fast forward to now. And between emojis and thanks to Twitter X, whatever it is, <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, we can read your language. They, they started it. They did. Yeah. I don't actually, they probably started way before them even. Yeah, but drawings. I think people drew before. <laughs> I meant like the, like a hieroglyphic language. Yeah. Yeah. But drawings. Yeah. Wingdings. <laughs> oh man. Before this couch we, is way too comfy. You know what though? For the I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's people listening who are like, This this feels nice. Yeah. This feels settled in. I hope they can hear how much more natural it is. Yeah. L- much less professional because we were so much of that before. Yeah. They were like, these those guys, I don't know why we wore suits and ties every episode, but like it's it's finally nice to be sitting here in bathrobes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just spread eagle. No. no. <laughs> now we're now we're crossing a line. Now we're getting into a territory that I don't want to be in. Okay, that's fair. You know what territory I do want to be in though? And unfortunately we're getting close to it not existing any further. Is the Big Ten West. Oh yeah. This yeah. is this is our last Big Ten West yeah. preview. It is. Or well second to last. Second you know, to last. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This year. Yeah. I, I gotta say before we dive into this, um I was watching um Wisconsin's spring game in preparation for our next episode. Wow, you're an overachiever. You are way ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well it just it takes me a while to like you know, feel confident in, in what we're talking about. And I want to watch spring games and previous season games. And you got to study rosters and yeah. you got to look at the turnover and you got to do all that stuff. I just don't feel confident in any, anything that I say. What I, what the, the problem is, is I get all the preseason, like, um, season preview magazines. Yeah. And all of them are wrong because everyone's transferred out or transferred in. And so you're like, okay, I got to make sure that what I'm reading matters. Yeah. So, or, or is, you know, going to make an influence. But I was watching this and I was like, man, my scouting report is way, way wrong for Wisconsin. Not realizing or recognizing that I hadn't done my scouting report yet and that I was seeing this all for the first time for this season. So I was just way out of way out of whack. Yeah. I was watching it going, oh, everything I said about them was wrong. <laughs> having said nothing about them. <laughs> Except for the fact that their transfer quarterback that they're super high on from SMU 
uh, like through two interceptions in the first quarter in that spring game. And everyone's like, he's the, he's the next coming. And I'm like, well, compared to Graham Mertz, maybe, but yeah, you know, or they just have a really good defense. I don't think that was it. I mean, they were, they were were bad. He just saw the W on the helmet and he tried to hit his guy. Obviously we're not talking about Wisconsin today, but I do want to say one more thing. And that is when they put their third string offense and defense in, they didn't even run the clock during the spring game. And that felt insulting to me. Um, as someone who wouldn't even make a third string team on any team that they were like, yeah, we'll let you guys go play, but this has zero impact on the scores or anything like that. And I'm like, isn't that the point of a spring game is like everyone gets a chance to play on the stadium on the big field and like, yeah, like be supported. You have all the same like rules and structure around it so that you can compare apples to apples. Yeah. In that situation. And they were just like, no, we're going to put up the little bumpers for the kiddies. They literally stopped the clock. I think, um, Luke Fickle took a piss, and the, the, <laughs> the third stringers were like, now's our chance. And uh, they came on there, and they did nothing. Uh, okay. And then they moved on, which also, the first string quarterback did nothing. Yeah, but, but with the clock running. With the clock running. Yeah. So, well, okay, I don't want to dwell on a program that is subpar. I want to talk about a, a program that is elite. Yeah. This is not yeah. a transition. Nice. That's not, that was well done. I don't feel that way about Wisconsin, but. Maybe I do. I don't know. I we'll, haven't scouted. We'll find out. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of weeks. And you've got the intro for us when it comes to uh, Minnesota. So it's somewhere in your my massive stack of papers. I here. think there's three pages over there. Oh, I found it. Perfect. All right. So take it away, Drew. On August 31st, 2023, we're back. And I'm not talking about the 1993 animated film, A Dinosaur's Story. I'm talking about Nebraska football. On the last day of August, the Cornhuskers travel to the Twin Cities to take on the Golden Gophers. The game is polling double duty as both the season and Big Ten opener. Kickoff is scheduled for 7 p.m. and is also on a Thursday night because fuck it, that's why. Minnesota, or Tiny Pop as they're known colloquially, are led by P.J. Fleck. (laughs) In his seventh year at the helm, Fleck. (laughs) It's going to get old so fast. Holds a 44-27 and 27 record as the man in charge at Minnesota with three of his last four seasons ending at nine wins or more. The Gophers' 2022 season saw them finish with another 9-4 and four record, including a tie for second in the Big Ten West and a win over Syracuse in the Pinstripe Bowl. Ironically enough, Pinstripe Bowl is also what you call your toilet after eating all the fried foods at the Minnesota State Fair. <laughs> The Huskers last met up with the Gophers in November of 2022, where Minnesota held on to a slim lead and walked out of Memorial Stadium with a 20-13 victory. The Gophers, like most of the Big Ten, have had Nebraska's number as of late, holding on to a current four-game win streak. When Nebraska visits Huntington Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, they will be looked at as the underdogs. It would be the perfect story to begin the Matt Rule era to snap a streak and steal a win. Minnesota is no pushover, and history can attest to that. Will it be a storybook beginning for the preacher's son, or will this simply be a prologue before miracles start to happen? We'll find out when toes meet leather on Thursday, fucking Thursday, August 31st. Well done. <laughs> well done. Way to power through Woo! that. That was a wordy one. I'm that sorry. was wordy. Yeah. That's um, all right. That pinstripe bull joke uh, <laughs> <laughs> was everything I wanted it to be, and then some. I'm glad you, I like, um, I like getting a kick out of my own jokes. Yeah. 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 I sense that of, of you too. 
I just like when they when they go over, you know. Yeah. You know, when you're on the couch, there's just something so special about it. About toilet humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I should have called it the twin shitties. <laughs> <laughs> that joke was elite. Thank that you. Was good, yeah. Thank you. Oh man. Well, is as is tradition around here, we always start off with some trivia about uh the university, the area, what have you. And uh, so I'm going to dive in with our first true or false question Awesome about Minnesota. So here we go. Twinkies are illegal within Minneapolis city limits. Talking about fake sugars and shit like that. True or false? Twinkies are illegal within Minnesota, Minneapolis city, city limits. I'm going to say true. It's not. Oh, well, that's yeah. good. Good for the people of Minneapolis. No. And there's nothing Twinkies. else to this story. That's it? You just no. made that shit up? <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, Twinkies are legal to possess and, okay. con- and consume. You can do both within Minneapolis city limits. But that is not where my story ends. There's more to this. So in 1985, while running for city council, a man by the name of George Belair tried to bribe senior citizens into voting for him with Twinkies. <laughs> the election's winner, Walter Poorwinner Zedzik, filed a complaint against Belair, alleging the Twinkie giveaway violated the Fair Campaign Practices Act, which prohibits candidates from providing meat, drink, or other entertainment or provisions to voters. Belair was even indicted by a grand jury, but eventually walked free. A new Fair Campaign Act, inspired by the incident, was actually nicknamed the Twinkie law. <laughs> so although they're not illegal in, in modern, you know, in, in typical consumption, yeah, you cannot give them to old people in hopes of getting a vote to when you're, yeah, yeah. that's incredible. I, I love the fact that he was like, what do senior citizens love most? Twinkies. He really understood his, his, uh, his demographic, his people in his community. Yeah. He knew what they wanted and what they needed. Yeah. How to win over their little hearts. They didn't need, you know, Promises of better health care nope. or, <laughs> nope. you know, anything like that. Nope. Twinkies. We're going to give you Twinkies. I, I think that was probably a budget-driven decision, if I had to guess, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, probably. Yeah. But, yeah. That's a good one. I just, it, it's so fun. <laughs> it's like, the fact that, like, not only was he like, we're going to give them Twinkies, but then they were also like... We're still not voting for you because yeah, he lost. lost. <laughs> <laughs> like we're gonna vote on the narc over here. We want him to win, right? Because that's the, we don't. We want some accountability. Yeah, and he was slinging, in our city council. He was slinging cosmic brownies. Yeah, that's where it's at. It's the eighties. <clears throat> Give him like cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I was born in the eighties, but I didn't live in the eighties. You know, I'm pretty sure from everything I've seen. That that's that was king. Yeah, you know, I've seen Wolf of Wall Street, especially for 80, 80 plus year olds. Well, if anyone's going to do it, you know, they need the energy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay. Let's let's hear it. Let's hear it. I've got something to admit before I do all my true falses here. Um, So last night I was, I'd wrapped, wrapped up all of my, my prep on Uh my notes and everything. And I I felt good about it. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go to bed, turn in. I laid down and I had one of those like panicky night before school type moments where I was like, holy shit, I forgot to do my fucking homework. Oh my gosh. I didn't do any of my, tr- I, I completely forgot that we were going to do true false, despite the fact that we do it like every time. 
And so, um, so the, I did these in a, these were crunch time. They're still okay. quality. I'm not, I'm not like trying to make excuses. I'm just letting you know. Okay. If you feel like they fall flat, that's because I failed. You could have, you could have not told me that. And I would have thought. These on, are equally as shitty as. Oh man. But I did manage to go themed. These are all about coaches. Okay. Okay. Nice. Minnesota. Here we go. Everyone knows PJ Fleck. <laughs> Had a successful college football career playing wide receiver at Northern Illinois, and he owns the school record for most career punt returns at 87. But did you know, while coaching at Western Michigan against his alma mater in the 2015 MAC Conference Championship, Flack <laughs> opted... <laughs> Opted to go for it on fourth down twice in his own territory rather than punt to Northern Illinois return man Kenny Galladay, who entered the game with 86 career punt returns. Oh my gosh, that's true. That is 100% (laughs) true. Of course that is true, that he was like, you're not touching my record. Because he absolutely would, because he's an egomaniac. No, that's false. I made that shit up. Oh, man. It seems like something that he would absolutely do. Yeah. Did he break his record? No, he still he Flex still owns the uh, punt return record. He owns eighty seven in his career, second in punt return yards, um, and like third and fourth in receptions and re- receiving yards. So he had a nice career there. Yeah, at Northern Illinois, I believe it. You know, he stayed in in pretty decent shape. He can still run. Yeah, does it before every game. Still puts on the cleats. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, he also is just a crazy cult-leading lunatic. Okay, so. so we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the article that came out this year. Did you read the, the FOS article about P.J. Fleck, kind of the, the quote-unquote hit piece, or did you see any of the highlights? About about what his pro, how his program is running, what yeah. people have said? Yeah. Um, I, I've heard some of it. I don't know if I've read the specific piece. Okay, so I, I read the piece, mm-hmm. and obviously we're going to talk about Northwestern today, and there's been a lot of reporting around Northwestern and what went on there and, and how their program has changed in this offseason because of it. And and it feels like every year there's like a P.J. Fleck um, hit piece. <laughs> I can't wait to not be doing that anymore. But well, Thank God they're first. We can just get them out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there always seems to be some hit piece around that Minnesota program where mm-hmm. it's like, there's some weird stuff that goes on. The word elite gets thrown around a lot. Uh, we heard that their head coach needs to have a standing ovation when he walks into a room, hence the joke that we're doing all the time. But there was nothing in there that was anywhere close to being on par with the allegations that are going on at other universities and things like that. And so it's just like, yeah, this guy's weird, but you can't fire someone for being weird nor should you. Oh, no. I, it's not like, I don't think anybody's surprised or caught off guard or, you know, and, and honestly, I, I doubt that all this stuff is 100% true. Like, yeah. I'm sure that there's a, a pretty good good amount of exaggeration um, on some things. But, yeah, like, you hear this and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's, that's weird. That's weird. That's what. That's, that's probably weird. what he does, though. Yeah. Probably does something similar to that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, the only the only thing that was said in that article that had any semblance of maybe being an issue was that there was the Fleck Bank with, like, Fleck coins or something like that, where if you accrued so many coins and you had a whoopsie where you, you know, tested positive for drugs or something like that, you could cash in coins to forego, like, suspensions or stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, I don't really buy that like that feels 
like there's weird and then there's like that feels sketchy and and it doesn't seem like the kind of program that Fleck runs. No. No, I and I could see it being more like a figurative thing where it's like, you know, maybe maybe some guys do get away with some shit because they built up some some credit in yeah. a sense. Or like that's but having I don't know about having actual physical currency trading hands here is yeah I don't I don't real. know that it w- was was that but I mean like I think what you say is true you know like sometimes you have a teacher who you get along with really well and like one or two students might be able to turn a paper in late you know that kind of thing but not to where you're foregoing and, and doing illegal activity and getting away with it he doesn't seem like the kind of coach to to let that stuff slide because I think he knows how important his quote unquote culture is. And so it it does feel just kind of like an unwarranted hit piece. And it's like they do it every year for Minnesota where they're like, hey, you guys remember how weird he is? Yeah. Everyone's like, why are you picking on him? Tom Allen exists. (laughs) There's got to be some some skeletons in that (laughs) mousetrap. Either way, I'm glad that it I'm glad that this stuff does come out because. Well, it's great. It is. It's great. I don't enjoy it any any. I mean, I, I enjoy it. It doesn't mean that I don't like reading this stuff and being like, oh, yeah, he's weirdo he kind of backs up yeah you know a very successful weirdo yeah but then again every player that goes through his program is like you know if we chose to go there because that's the kind of leadership we wanted yeah that's what they're drawn to and it were and it like yeah i mean he's he's like we talked about in the intro he's won what nine games a season pretty much like and he's put guys in the nfl Mm -hmm. he's been a successful head coach yeah i think and and during a time where we haven't had one so you know, nope. What are we to say? <laughs> Who are we? So, what are your thoughts on Minnesota? Like, what's what jumps out at you on Minnesota? Well, uh, I guess we we can open up with their uh, offense. Yeah. Um, they lost uh, Kirk Soraka again. Um, he's he's bolted for Rutgers. You know that that power institution over there on the East Coast. Um, I uh, I'm really interested to see if Minnesota this year evolves their offense beyond what they've been doing, what they've been successful with, which is, you know, power run game. Yeah. Um, just pounding the hell out of the ball. They they lose Tanner Morgan at quarterback, right. who was just the epitome of a, a game manager. Yeah, field general. Yep, yep. Absolutely. He was um, risk-averse, high percentage, um, throw, you know, completions. Uh, and then they had Mo Ibrahim behind there, you know, running the ball, and they the big offensive line that that was really great at, at you know creating running lanes pushing off the ball uh you know power run blocking um they don't have that this year they don't have Kirk Soraka back there calling the plays and so um you know I I'm I think what we're gonna see with with the new quarterback in uh Ethan Kaliak Manis is that Kaliak Kaliak Manis Kaliak Manis yeah. I think um we're going to see things open up a little bit more on offense. And I think yeah. they might they might actually start to throw the ball a lot more um, and a lot further down the field and maybe steer away from what we're used to seeing. You think so? You think the ball's going to start to air out even more under Cal McManus? Because I think that it's, it's, it's not. Okay. I kind of, I kind of oppose that. I mean, Maybe not downfield threats, but I do see them trying to spread the line of scrimmage out a little bit more. And instead mm-hmm. of their run game being a power run game, maybe more of a screen game, get guys in motion, get guys going. And I think the quarterback run is actually going to become a bigger part of what they do out there. Kaliak Manis is is okay. Um, he hasn't necessarily popped 
uh, as a field general the same way that that uh, Tanner did. Right. But he did have like he came in against Nebraska, didn't throw any touchdowns, but he also didn't throw any interceptions. He um, threw, I think, around 70 percent against us, moved the ball 150 yards through the air again, was just making sure that the tempo stayed on Minnesota's side, that the momentum stayed on Minnesota's side to where they could keep running the ball and keep with their game plan. So he has some of those similar vibes to me where he can be the field general. They're just missing out on the generational talent that is Mo Ibrahim. You know, that's that's what they had to kind of run behind, and they had, a, you know, big uglies on that offensive line, and they haven't quite gotten back to that offensive line going into this year. So right. I do see, you know, where maybe it's not going to be a power run game, but I don't think Minnesota gets away from what kept them successful, which is kind of what Matt Rule wants to do too, right? Is like own the clock, own possession, and and have us define the tempo of the game. I think they can still do that through the run. It's just going to be a different looking run game. Hmm. So, <laughs> no, no, it's I, that's my that's my that's my <laughs> sounded very. Man. I've no, never that's... I've never heard someone say you're so fucking wrong. I don't in think so you're few wrong. Words. It's it's that's my. Um, that's my let me let me pause and think about that. But hmm. Hmm. here's 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 so why <laughs> I promise I didn't mean it to be. I know, but just just let me process. Hmm. Yeah, let me pro- okay. Let me let me process that for a minute, Ben. Those are some really good points that you brought up. Um I don't think that they will veer too far away. I don't think they're gonna make wholesale changes. Yeah. And so I agree with you in, in that manner. And I, and I don't think that uh Calic Man is um, is seasoned enough. I don't think he's got enough experience where he can just um, take over a game or, or you can really run the offense entirely through him. Yeah. Um, but just based on, um, if you look back at, at PJ Fleck at his, at his, uh, what he did at Western Michigan, um, he, he had one quarterback there in his four years and Zach Terrell, um, who, saw the most success when he started to, to air the ball out yeah. and start throwing downfield. Um, he went from outside the top 100 quarterbacks in 20-plus yard pass plays to being top 20 the next three years. Um, he went from 91st in yards per attempt his first year to, to uh, I'm not going to say the guy's name because I don't, <laughs> don't want to hear the applause yeah, I don't want to hear the applause. Um, the first year he was there to being top six every year after that. Yeah, um, And so... The Calic Manis with with what his skill set is, um, and like you said, he's he's a runner, which which Zach Terrell was as well, um, at least a little bit more mobile, definitely more mobile than Tanner Morgan. Um, he's he's more in line with I think what Zach Terrell did as a quarterback than Tanner Morgan. Um, he's in his limited time, Ethan uh, threw eighteen percent of his passes twenty plus yards or more. Okay, right. Uh, hmm. To put that in, yeah. See. Hmm. Hmm. To put that in perspective, Tanner Morgan was at 11% of throws, um, and then the national average is 14.5. So they're they're kind of at the opposite ends of those uh, extremes there. And so I just think I think having him there with with probably what he likes to do as a quarterback with his running ability, um, with with Chris Hopman Bell coming back from injury, uh, you got Brevin Span Ford who yeah. who is a deep threat. He, uh, almost a quarter of his targets were 20 plus yards. Um, last year, and then incoming wide receiver Elijah Spencer from from Charlotte, he was second in FBS in receptions of twenty plus yards, and so they they just have pieces that they brought in or pieces that are established on their team that fit um, a lot more with 
what Calic Manis tends to like to do in his limited play. Sure. And I think that you hear coaches say it a lot where they want to not necessarily operate their system, but operate according to what their players excel at. Mm-hmm. I think that that opportunity presents itself without Mo Ibrahim to lean on in the run game to see Minnesota open it up a little bit. And I think you're right in, in that they, it won't be a big change. But again, you, you new, new offensive coordinators um, and a co-OC who is a wide receivers coach, a co-OC who's a quarterback coach. Um, it just, to me, it just indicates that, that the pass game is going to be much more critical to Minnesota's success on offense than it has been in the past. That's 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 a fair assessment. You could have just said, hmm. I could have. <laughs> but what I'm going to say is I think that's a fair assessment. I just don't think Kaliak Manis it has the game experience and the talent yet to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Minnesota offense you're talking about is what it evolves into as the year progresses or maybe even in the following season when Kaliak Manis has a full season as the guy under his belt. But for right now, and I think it's even it's almost – uh, plays into their advantage. You know, Nebraska's coming in to this Minnesota game, and Minnesota doesn't know what the offense is going to look like. Well, I think the same thing is going to go for Nebraska defensively against Minnesota's offense. Is what is this really going to look like? They they had three offensive starter, offensive line starters transfer out, so they've got a new look offensive line. Minnesota was like notorious um, when they were at their best of having like over three hundred and ten pound averages on their offensive line that was just bullying the defense. Yeah. They don't have that right now. So like even though Mo Ibrahim uh, was incredibly successful running the ball, he also had like a free three yards every damn run where there was just a buffer to move through. And that's not there yet. But Kaliak Manis doesn't have the arm in what I've seen to be consistent in those throws. If you look at his throwing average, he's a 50% passer. And maybe it is because he's throwing deep a lot. But what mm-hmm. he was scouted for and what he was brought in for was his running ability. His legs were what they liked about him. And I could see that this offense evolves behind those legs where um, you know he's another run threat where you can put a hat on a hat and you've now got this open guy who can make some plays. So I expect them to stretch at the line of scrimmage, get some space that way, and then occasionally take the deep shots. But I just don't think that he's a guy that you can consistently lean on week after week, play after play to take these deep shots and hit those guys. Even though you've got a very talented wide receiver core and a very talented tight end in Brevin Spanform, who you mentioned, um, I think those are guys you can lean on in the in the dink and dunk kind of play mm. where you get your quarterback comfortable and then start to build out as the season progresses. So I don't disagree that that's where they could head up uh, or, or wind up heading, but I think to out of the gate to build confidence and to get your guy feeling comfortable – you go high percentage and you say, hey, you know, you were a 50% passer. We're going to make you a 70% passer and we're going to do the, the these passes that are easy to hit, that get you comfortable and that can get us rolling. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's fair. I think and I think that's probably the right way to handle a, a new quarterback. Um, and, and with so many like wholesale changes along the line um, with a with a new transfer running back coming in, not not necessarily knowing what you're going to get out of that. Um it, it probably is good to play it safe, um, at least to a degree, as, as he gets his feet wet and gets comfortable. Yeah. So And, and I mean, I, I trust this, this staff. They've been level-headed. They've been calm. They've never been a, a team since uh, you-know-who has been at the helm. Um, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to press that damn button. Uh, they've never been a team that really looks like they're panicking at any point. Yeah. And so I, I could see them coming in, and even if it's not the ideal game plan that they want to run long-term, they're going to be confident in the decisions they made and they're going to move forward um, and, and play their game and they're going to force whoever their opponent is uh, 
to, to meet them where they're at as opposed to, you know, if they want to make it a down and dirty dog fight, even if they don't have the guys on the line, they're going to believe that they can make it a down and dirty dog fight. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I would say we've seen them with, with depleted rosters before just, where it just didn't absolutely, matter. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and that, I that think, 2020 game was, yeah, that, that, that just goes back to, um, you know, who having, <laughs> she's Voldemort now. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it, it goes back to him having established, you know, what he wants to do and, and developing guys and, you know, them learning their system and, and him being confident in them to be able to, to operate, you know, no matter who it is. Yeah. Unless it's their third string in the spring game. No, that was Wisconsin. Oh, that's Wisconsin. That okay, was yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. That was Luke Fickle. <laughs> okay. No, yeah. they actually, their spring game, uh, Minnesota spring game was held indoors and it was wildly infuriating to watch because they brought the cameras in and... um the cameras like couldn't see the end zones half the time because <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't just have the normal viewing angles that they normally had. So they had camera guys on the sidelines trying to videotape this stuff yeah. with all the families who came in for the game, like around inside the indoor practice facility. Cause I think it was like zero degrees and blizzarding. And they're like, this is not only miserable for everyone, but it's also a hazard for these players during the spring to play out sure. here like this. Yeah. So they brought it indoors. It was fun to watch. Um, but they, yeah, they like, it, it was it was another one of those weird ones where it's like, gosh, Colorado's spring game, they do seven on seven. They don't have linemen. Wisconsin's, they don't run the clock <laughs> for the third string. Minnesota, you know, they're they're indoors and you can't see half the game, even though, like, the cameras are there. And Nebraska, they're live tackling quarterbacks. Like, we had a good spring game lineup. We Yeah, we did. And, and I think everyone took that for granted. Yeah. This is my new pedestal. Not enough people watch the spring <laughs> games of all the other teams. I can agree. I mean, I know I don't watch many. I watch a little bit, but... Um, We're just in that dead zone where it's like, what else? I'm not going to... I don't... I mean, I'll go back and rewatch games from near the end of the previous season to kind of get an idea of maybe where things are heading mm-hmm. um, and, like, who's emerging because you got so many injured players and stuff like that. So you see a lot of younger guys, like, mid to late season. Um, but spring games, man, just the format. The fact that it's the Wild West, you can do whatever you want. It's yeah. We had XFL kickoffs in our Nebraska spring game. Like, did people appreciate that? I did. But I, I like I like the deep dive into Nebraska. I like seeing who they trot out, you know, fourth, fifth strings, whatever. Yeah. Um, other other teams, it's like you know, I mean, it's interesting to yeah, like you said, like you you're just hungry for football at that point. Yeah. But also, it's so not football that after a while, I'm just like I I don't care. It's seventy two to twelve in favor of blue. Like I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so and and half these guys are gonna transfer after this game anyway because they're upset that they're not getting playing time. You know, or that they're not running the clock or whatever. Yeah. You know? So it's okay. it's fun, but I'm I'm a proponent of make the spring game an, a, a versus like an FCS opponent. Oh my game. gosh! Like that. I, I want would like love a, that, like an exhibition against an exhibition live live reps. Still, still, you know, some of the looseness of the spring game and some of the fun aspects of it. Um, but pay pay and pay the FCS team to you know to oh, travel. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And, um, but that way, you you know, they get the experience of. It's like when NFL playing. teams do, do their you know their fall camp and they practice against each other. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. the same thing. You, I don't think that there's like increased risk of injury, or I think if, I mean there maybe is, but it's probably marginal. Um, not and if you, and not if you're the, Fordham and you've got a guy who's like, <laughs> I'm going like, to break the record for number of tackles. tackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I think that there would be an incredible value to that all around, and it would create better viewership. Yeah, like by far and away, but. You know what would also happen, though, is those FCS players who show out on those games, they're like, I'm going to hit the transfer, coach. Uh-huh. 
you know that that would be that'd be that would be left and right. It'd oh, turn into a farm system. Yeah, money would exchange hands in in many ways. Okay, I was thinking right it more now. holistically, like you'd have FCS guys or FBS guys or whoever FCS guys mm-hmm. who didn't get a look the first time. They come out, they show out on a stage, and it's like, hey, you can always come over here, and then they just stay. We've got an open dorm room, and yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, all right. Anyway. So, what about defense? Defense. Uh, Minnesota has one, and it it was really good last year. Um, also, very good in the spring game. Yeah, yeah, their defense. Looked well, they were playing indoors. I mean, makes it a lot easier. Okay, you get know. out there. <laughs> um, they were they were interesting to me because they were incredibly successful without generating pressure against opposing quarterbacks, which yeah. is, um, which is untrue of all the other almost all the I think all the other Big Ten teams that that were ranking up there in like the top five in the nation. They only had nineteen sacks. Um, it's the lowest sack rate of PJ Flex. Of the PJ Fleck era, you can. There you go. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna officially retire this. That's the end of it. This is it. Okay, okay. everyone, right. I apologize. It's gonna get kind of loud. Okay, it's gone, and that's it. That bit is retired. <laughs> that bit is not coming back. <laughs> we are no longer giving PJ standing ovations. Okay, I think he's. I think he'll be okay. He gets plenty of them up in Minnesota. So yeah. Um, but anyway, lowest sack rate of the era. Not a reference to his sack lowering because his balls finally dropped. <laughs> Did you want to hit the applause for that one? I was going to no, make a hernia <laughs> joke. <you>? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, they they still got 14 interceptions um, back there with without pressuring the quarterback, which is pretty crazy. It tells you just how good that secondary was um, in creating problems for opposing offenses. Uh, and then they only allowed 13.8 points per game, Yeah, which is... Um, incredible and so looking at how they were able to do that with without the you know that big like pressure you know get after the quarterback uh component to these defenses that so many coaches want uh they were just really good at getting other offenses off of the field they had a top 10 three and out rate for the defense at at over 40 percent so four out of every 10 drives um went three and out and so they just got the ball back for the for their offense to you know ground pound bleed the clock control the game, um, and so now looking at this year, uh, can they replicate that result? Can they um, be as good of a defense? I don't I don't know if they will. I think they have a lot of turnover this year, um, and the fact that they didn't have you know, those those elite playmakers up front that they can continue to count on moving forward. I don't know, like, how how they'll replicate that secondary success. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement there. I, I like where they fall on Nebraska's schedule if we're going to play spoiler in a game where we're already, you know, the underdog, I think, by eight and a half or something along those lines. This is a defense that is bringing in a lot of transfers to bulk up their defensive line. Um, they do have Cody Lindenberg at linebacker who's going to kind of help shore up that front seven. He's going to be that that leader up front, kind of the, the defense's uh, field general. Uh, but there is going to be some meshing that needs to take place and some cohesion that needs to take place. So I like the fact that Nebraska being a new team uh, with a new scheme offensively is going to be facing a defense that's also trying to kind of figure out where all their pieces work together best. Of course, there's fall camp. These guys have been working together since the spring, so there's going to be familiarity. But these first few games, I mean, to to have those meet up as a Big Ten and a Power Five opponent, there's always some figuring out that goes on because it's you you can only simulate football until you get hit in the mouth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, 
so I am I am curious how that front seven winds up meshing early on in their spring game. Like I said, they did play well against their own offensive line, the ones versus the ones. That said, the offensive line also had three transfers in, so guys are still mm-hmm. figuring their stuff out on both sides of the ball, which, again, bodes well for Nebraska early on where there's at least a level playing field of we're trying to all figure this shit out together. Right. Uh, Secondary-wise, I do like Tyler Newbin, projected first-round overall uh, potentially pick for the uh, NFL draft. Uh, he's a safety on Minnesota secondary, so they are going to have that leader in the backfield, or, or excuse me, in the secondary to uh, attack Nebraska through the air as well. I, I think they have the pieces, again, to meld into a pretty strong defense. They've got the history behind them. They've got guys who you know played on these great defensive teams. Now it's just their turn with a few solid leaders who were there last year as well. Uh, you brought up the total, you know, scoring allowed by the defense. It was, what was it, 13.8 points per game. Mm-hmm. That was fourth in the country. It was yeah. third in the Big Ten. Yeah. How insane is that? No, I, I, yeah, looking at all these defensive stats from last year from the Big Ten, like, it it blows my mind that anybody scored any points at all with yeah. just how insane some of these defenses were. And the fact that they all did it in such different ways. Like, there really is a... um. You know, I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat, essentially. What? Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? And why, uh, <laughs> why do you need one? Um, so yeah, so that it, it's just it's fun to look into and and to see, um, you know, yeah, what what sort of variety there is in there, um, and it makes it interesting as far as like approaching these defenses week in and week out. You know, as an offensive coordinator in the Big Ten, just how the hell are you going to score? It's different every week. It's not like, well, we just got to stop the pass rush. We just got to be able to, you know, run the ball or whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's a puzzle every week. Yeah. I I think it's going to be a a tall task and a a great, uh, a real great look at what does Satterfield do and how effective is his offense going to be against a big 10 defense? Because this is one of those teams They're they're sneaky good. You look across the way and you think there's no way that Minnesota is going to be as stout as they are. And yet their defense is what keeps them in games. Tanner Morgan was injured a lot last year at quarterback. So Kaliak Manis did come in. We saw him uh, against us, like I mentioned earlier. You know, this is a, this is a very cohesive team. Mm-hmm. Um, P.J. Fleck gets them together and, and, and has them playing as a complete unit. And you look at, okay, so they may not be NFL caliber talent across the board. But to me, it's kind of like that's the beauty of college sports is sometimes if you can play better as a team, it doesn't matter how many stars you've got on that other side it's that that teamwork somehow works together better because you're still fundamentally learning the game whereas when you get to the professional ranks you know you're expected to be the star yeah uh, basketball is another beautiful example of this college basketball you can have great college basketball players who do squat in the nba you know and, and so i i just i do have a appreciation for a coach who can bring together guys who um may not be the most sought after, may not be the biggest stars, that sort of thing, and bring them together to work cohesively as a team and move forward as a whole unit. And that's what we've seen from Minnesota. And then stars emerge from that. Yeah. Right? That that team aspect supports the creation of the star, like the Mo Ibrahim or the Chris Ottman Bell or uh, Moye Bafe, you know, as well. Like those guys who like you get to know because they were able to succeed in a system where we succeed as a team and then the individual can grow from that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'll admit, like I'm, I make fun of PJ Fleck a lot, but only because like I do actually like have a pretty good amount of respect and a little jealousy about like just how successful he's been in the way he does it. And yeah, um, 
I don't I don't like it when weirdos are are good at their job, <laughs> especially when they're on the other side. But like, yeah, he's done it, and he, and and like you said, like it's just you know it's it's units that are you know greater than the sum of their parts. Um, and so you know when you're looking at teams like this, it's like man, like how are they gonna how are they gonna replace this? How are they gonna get better here? Um, it's like well, they're probably gonna do it. I don't know. Yeah. How, I don't. It's, I don't it's know never been about it, that. But That's it, the thing, right? It's never been about replacing this. It's we have a system. We get the guys who fit in there, yeah. so we don't have to worry about. You know, how are we going to replace this all-star player? Well, he was never brought in to be an all-star player. He was meant to be a member of the team. Yes. And so it's, it's do we just retain the team cohesiveness? And that's what guys like P.J. Fleck have done. And I think that's what Matt Rule is going to do at Nebraska, right? He's going to create the team. And then that way, as the time comes and players come and go, like, it's not a matter of, like, you're our star. It's you fit within our team, and this team is having success. So yeah. it can be a part of that success. Yeah. And that's where, I guess, as far as, like, this game in particular goes, personally, I lean towards, like, I understand why Minnesota is, like, what, an eight, eight and a half point favorite? I think eight like and a half is what I've seen right yeah. now. And, like, I think that that makes sense. I think it's one of those, I, it could be really tight. Um, but I think they've earned that, you know, touchdown plus, um, as a touchdown plus favorite, just because they have, it's like, they're so established in what they do. Um you know, Nebraska's on the road, and, and while I think a lot of people expect Nebraska to be improved this year, overall, I think that's a very tough ask right out of the gate to travel to Minnesota um, and to to steal a win, um, even if even if Minnesota does have, you know, a few questions of their own. Every team, I feel like, in the Big Ten West has some pretty big question marks to answer, yeah. a little bit of turnover and change that they're dealing with anyway. So um, to, to go up against um, somebody who's so well-established um, – with with a an, with a defense that was really great and has been great under I think Joe Rossi is the coordinator he's he's been there for a few years so there's consistency there and so um, yeah I, I right now I'm leaning towards a Minnesota victory here and and I don't think there's any shame in that and I, that might be the first time I've ever been able to admit that so I feel like I feel like I don't know maybe sitting on a couch is like therapy yeah you know it's just yeah. like yeah we can talk about our feelings a little more openly yeah. So there you go. I've got respect for Minnesota. I've got respect for PJ Fleck. There, I said it. Mm. Personal growth. Mm. I don't get any applause for that. Mm. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. Um, special teams, real quick, <laughs> just to hit on those. I think that's. I think that's a good point. You know, I look at this game as a as a litmus test. This is going to be a real great way to identify where's Nebraska going to be this season. You know, Minnesota's probably going to come out, hit us in the mouth. They're going to be a cohesive team because they've had, you know, the same leader for seven seasons. They've had the defensive leader in their in their defensive coordinator and you know offensive coordinator wise they've experienced this kind of turmoil and turnover before and they responded just fine, um, but I do think that when Nebraska gets hit in the mouth it's how do they respond? I think this is a game that is winnable. I think with the talent that Nebraska has and the talent that Minnesota has when you combine those two, I think they're on similar levels, um, and I think that this is going to be a a coaching matchup as well. How do these coaches get their teams ready? That'll be fun. I wonder what that. What that's going to be like? Yeah, but but I think that. Uh, oh, what? That was it. Never that. Nothing. Just that a having a having a coach a coaching matchup where you can feel confident in your yeah, coach's yeah, yeah. ability. Yeah. I didn't realize you were taking a jab at the previous episode. I was like, did I say something funny and I not recognize? <laughs> I love saying funny things, but recognizing it. Um, wow, this is like therapy. Um, <laughs> no, I just I just feel like this will be like I said a good litmus test for Nebraska to see where we are but also as fans to go okay I know where we are as far as like where our development is and where it needs to go is I can measure us against 
Minnesota's success and see where we are right out of the gate. Yeah. You know, if you have success early on against Minnesota, a program that is established and disciplined, you kind of know where the ball's heading, right? Yeah. If we come close and, and fall, you know, again, it's like, okay, we're getting to the point to where we have to start being better than the, the teams in the Big Ten West before we can be better than the teams in the Big Big Ten yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I like this as the first matchup because it's kind of like we don't have to work. We don't have to wait. You know, we don't have to tune up and figure out like, okay, we, we played these teams who are, you know, group of five teams that we should beat that we paid to come here we beat them but like what happens when we get up against you know even tougher competition that's had our number year over last right uh and then over last and then over last so <laughs> yeah we don't even have to wait for a weekend no we get a little thursday night party thursday then i gotta work on a friday if you want uh <laughs> i i'll have to but oh, okay. you know um real quick just to touch on special teams um they've got uh, a kicker in in dragon kesic kesic uh, I'm going to just destroy that name absolutely, even though it's a cool name. That's it's fine. either Dragon or Dragon. I'm going to assume it's Dragon because Probably if Dragon. someone's name was Dragon. Could be. I would know. <laughs> you know, um, he's going to compete for kicking duties. He's got a big leg for touchbacks, needs to improve his field goal accuracy. And then they've got Mark Crawford, who averaged 40.6 yards per punt. Um, not great. Not great. Uh, but, you know, if you're a if you're a defense that's good at getting people off the field um, and you've got an offense that's effective, you know, the punt game may not matter as heavily. Uh, just don't return it 87 times in a season because PJ will think it's my record. <laughs> That's enough Minnesota. Yeah, I yeah, the, yeah. Do you want to, for our too early prediction, do you want to be Minnesota? Do you, do you want to bear that cross and then I'll be Nebraska? We'll do the one, two, three score. Okay. Okay. You're Minnesota? I'll be Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll be Nebraska. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yep. One, two, three. 18. Okay. Okay. I, I immediately didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a great feeling. Uh, but, you know, it's... Let's say we move on to Illinois. Let's do it. All right. On Friday, yes, Friday, following a Thursday, <laughs> October 6, 2023, Nebraska travels to Champaign region of the Midwest to take on the University of Illinois. Kickoff is scheduled for 7 p.m., which lines up perfectly when I need to start putting my kids to bed. The Illini are led by Brett Bielema in his third season as Illinois' head coach. Illinois is Bielema's third stop as head coach and across stints at Wisconsin, Arkansas, and Illinois, he holds a 110-70 and 70 record. Last year, Bielema led the Illini to an 8-5 and five season where they tied Minnesota for second in the Big Ten West and fell to Mississippi State in the ReliaQuest Bowl. For those wondering, ReliaQuest is a force multiplier of security teams to increase visibility, <laughs> decrease complexity, and manage risk through the gray matter security operations. A natural choice to a college football bowl game sponsor. <laughs> I have no idea what any of that meant, by the way. Way less fun than the cheese at bowl. Yeah. 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 2023's yeah. meeting will mark the 21st time these two teams have battled on the gridiron. Nebraska holds the advantage 13-6-1, but Illinois, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and until recently Iowa, has had Nebraska's number the past three seasons. Oof. Last year, these two met in Memorial Stadium, where the Illini walked away with a 26-9 win. Illinois is primed to have another special year, building on top of their 8-5 and five finish from last season. Some folks, myself included, have them as their favorite in the Big Ten West. Bielema's developmental coaching style and fundamental focus makes them the perfect grinder team for the Big Ten's quote-unquote softer side. Will Nebraska's advantages in recruiting and resources make a damn bit of difference, or will Bielema and crew move through in their down-and-dirty fashion? 
We'll find out on a fucking Friday when Nebraska and <laughs> Illinois meet on October 6th. I think it's going to be another good game. Um, it's definitely going to be an interesting one. Yeah. And it's so weird that Illinois is what I think turning into a Big Ten West leader. Um, but we'll get into all that after some true or false. Yeah. Wow, we're going to disagree again. Are we? Oh, we are. Oh, this is why wait. we're nominated for an arguing award. Is it? At the <laughs> Nebraska <laughs> Podcast Awards. Yeah, that's all right. I'm all right with this. If, if like you think Illinois is not going to be good. I didn't say they won't be good. I just don't think that the, we'll get into it, but I don't think they'll be tops or near the top okay. of the West. You don't think they'll be tops? Mm-mm. Are you also adjusting your mic? My mic's getting lazy on me. Like, it's starting to kind of sag. Yeah. I feel like it's the couch. I think it's... It's not the couch. It's definitely the mic stand. Um, be very careful with that little side table that these are sitting on. I'm, I'm just going to let it sag. I'm just going to let it sag. Just it's let okay. it sag. We can adjust them later. We can <laughs> yeah. adjust them at the break. You guys don't know this, but we take a break. <laughs> All right. True or false? Okay. Here we go. Everyone knows Brett Bielema had a successful college football career playing defensive line at Iowa. Having earned a scholarship as a former walk-on and helping lead the Hawkeyes to a share of the 1990 Big Ten Conference title. But did you know, Bielema was suspended four games during his senior season after he got into a physical altercation with Iowa State mascot, Cy the Cardinal. Oh man, this is another one where I want it to be true, but I feel like Bielema is too polished, even as a young man, to throw fists at a mascot you think so huh i well (laughs) immediately not anymore so i'm gonna i'm gonna say false but if it's true i can't wait to hear the story okay so it is false but the story is still really great okay when you're talking about a polished young brett bielema here we go so following a 21 to 7 victory over iowa state in his senior year bielema whose iowa teams never lost to iowa state shook ISU head coach Jim Walden's hand and said, quote, you're a big prick. It's been a pleasure kicking your ass the last five years. That's polished. He's earned it. Yeah. He waited. He won. He won. Uh, He was reprimanded by Iowa, and he had to send a telegram to Walden with a formal apology. That was his punishment. Sorry, my sir. I (laughs) said something mean, and now I'm apologizing. This is my singing telegram from Brett Bielema, the Divas event. (laughs) That was very close to my reaction when I saw that he had sent a telegram in 1990 or 92, I guess it would have been. But yeah, uh, but it was a yeah, it was a great, uh, great little Bielema story there for you. He yeah. was yeah, he was not afraid to you know speak the truth or what he felt was the truth. And I mean, at least he waited until until the final. It, yeah, after I think he was in the program for four or five years. They never lost. And uh, yeah, that was it. This and he, is, he backed it up even after even after the game. He he kept kind of saying stuff to reporters, I guess. About he's like, "What? Like I didn't? Like I don't think he's a good coach." <laughs> you <Yeah. know>? like, <laughs> where was I lying? Yeah, <laughs> where did I lie? Tell me where I was lying, guys. Yeah. Pretty much. So good for and Bielema. yeah, and obviously Bielema knows. I think a little little thing or two about coaching, as he's shown. So yeah, I don't think he was wrong. I don't know who Jim Walden is. Well. Um, History wasn't kind to him, I guess. No, neither was Brett Bielema. <laughs> but um, like a telegram? Yeah. Do you, think, telegram. do you think that they made him do a telegram because it was inconvenient? I have no idea. It's, I mean, it was it was the very early 90s. Like, Yeah, fax machines existed. Uh-huh. Phone calls. I was five. Letters. 
Yeah, could have done it, but no telegram. Like somehow, I feel like uh, a telegram is older than a letter. Like I know that the the postal service existed before telegrams, but uh-huh. it still somehow feels like a more outdated way to send a message. Yeah, like you would you the coach would have to get a phone call from Western Union and be like, <laughs> yeah. there's a message waiting for you Do here, Do you sir. accept the charges? Not even that. Yeah. Like, he'd have <laughs> to go pick it up. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was because he had to go. He's like, <laughs> you know what will piss him yeah. off more? He's <laughs> having to take time to go down to Western Union. He thinks he's getting a money transfer, and it's just a message saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> P.S. Not really. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. All oh, right. man. Brett the Hitman Bielema. Heck yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my true or false. Let me find it. Oh, this is a good one, actually. This one's kind of cool. Uh, Champagne, Illinois resident Charles Carpenter, a reconnaissance pilot in World War II, was nicknamed Quiet Charlie for his ability to fly past enemy lines undetected and return with vital intel. Yeah. It's false. Why? Come on, man. Because it's better. Oh, okay. So... Uh, he was not nicknamed Quiet Charlie. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Bazooka Charlie Carpenter <laughs> began his <laughs> army career as a reconnaissance pilot and an artillery spotter, but quickly earned a reputation as a badass motherfucker. Hell yes. Okay. Okay. This is so much better. This is way better. So Lieutenant Colonel Carpenter flew an L-4 Grasshopper light observation aircraft with a total capacity of 232 pounds. Due to the aircraft's inability to carry heavy artillery for defense, most pilots equipped themselves with bazookas. <laughs> okay. In September of 1944, uh, the Battle of Aircourt, Carpenter was credited with knocking out a German armored car and four tanks in his aircraft, which became known as Rosie the Rocketer instead of Rosie the Riveter. That's amazing. Uh, In interviews with reporters, Carpenter described his idea of fighting a war as, quote, attack, attack, and then attack again. (laughs) By war's end, Carpenter destroyed or disabled several German armored cars and tanks. He was officially credited with six tanks destroyed. Which, if you know anything about World War II and tank warfare, those weren't easy to destroy. No. And this guy was doing it while flying a plane with a bazooka. Yeah, we have advertisements on tv nowadays that are like don't text and drive and this dude's flying a fucking plane in the middle of a war zone loading up a bazooka yeah and blasting off that's awesome okay so in 1945 there's more story's not done so in 1945 carpenter became ill and was diagnosed with hodgkin hodgkin lymphoma he was given two years to live and was honorably discharged carpenter returned to work as a history teacher in urbana illinois uh, where he remained until his passing 20 years later. Fuck yeah. The guy was given two. He said, I'll take 20. <laughs> so that is the story, the quick story, the brief story of Bazooka Charlie. Oh, man. That dude, need, they need a movie about that dude. Yeah. For sure. So That's awesome. I thought, I that for a moment there, I thought we were going to go um, into dead dog territory. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, man. Like, why? Why are we doing this? But Well, I, yeah. always, I always start my true or false search with, um, the the town and then most famous dead animal, um, <laughs> and then I work backwards. Notorious, from there. yeah. Sometimes I land right on it. Yep, yeah. I will say, okay, you're you're referencing our true or false from our live show, which was a couple weeks ago, uh, at the time of this release, I should say. Um, that story I found on Louisiana Tech's official website. So like they have a blurb about how their mascot was named. So I wasn't like 
I didn't like search the dark webs for a story about a, a dead dog. They're very proud of it, which they should be. Yeah. It's an awesome story. It was just an unexpected twist that, you know, it's like, oh, a little heartbreak. Well, if they just found a dog under a tree and he became their best friend, they wouldn't name their school mascot after it. They could have, and it would have been a happy story. But it, it was an even, like, I was, I was proud of that bulldog. I was too. I just wanted him to live. <laughs> That's all. I was okay, caught off guard. You're taking away... From Quiet Charlie. I'm sorry, you're right. I, I'm getting distracted by the dog. So, anyways. What a hero. Illinois. 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 So, we disagree on Illinois. Okay. Okay. Tell me why you think that they can continue to operate at the level that they were at and continue on this trajectory that Biloma has them on to a point where they're competing for the Big Ten West. Okay, for one, let's look at the Big Ten West just from the 30,000-foot view at the moment. From the Bazooka Charlie view. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just say that, that Bazooka Charlie's flying overhead, looking at the Big Ten West. <laughs> to me, it feels very wide open, which is not a crazy thing to say about the Big Ten West. You've got a new coach at Wisconsin. Um, you've got a new quarterback at Minnesota. You've got um, a head coach in Bielema who's had success year over year. You've got a new coach uh, new first-time head coach in Ryan Walters. You've got a new coach at Nebraska. Excuse me, at Purdue. You've got a new mm-hmm. coach at Nebraska. You've got Iowa, who still employs Brian Ferentz. <laughs> so you've got a whole lot of questions, right? Yeah. Where it's like, who's going to take this conference? A lot of people are picking Luke Fickle because he's had success uh, from the Group of Five standpoint. First Group of Five team in the playoff. We know he's a good coach. You and I talked privately about Luke Fickle wouldn't be the worst hire at Nebraska. We'd take that. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of reasons to to question what's going on in the Big Ten and just not quite know what this year is going to bring. What I like is the consistency that Bielema has brought to the table at Illinois. He immediately established an identity of we're going to win at the line of scrimmage. We are going to be bullies at the line of scrimmage. And we are going to outwork, basically, everyone there. I'm not going to try and bring in a star. I'm going to bring in, kind of like what P.J. Fleck does, I'm going to bring in a team. I'm going to build a team. In a year where it's wide open, I think that line of scrimmage is going to be very important, being able to control games late. I like what they return on the offensive line. Uh, They've got two seniors and a junior. They've got Julian Pearl, Isaiah Adams, and Zy Chrysler. Both Pearl and Adams are going to be NFL players. I like their offensive, or excuse me, their running back room with Josh McCray and Reggie Love III. I like what those guys bring behind that offensive line. And I like that they're replacing Tommy, don't call me Danny DeVito. What? That's in my notes. What? Quarterback Tommy, don't call me Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. We I, hang out too much. We do. Okay. Um, I like Luke Altmeyer from Ole Miss. I like that they're bringing in a, a quarterback that can throw the ball a little bit better, makes better decisions, is a little bit more mistake-free than, than Tommy DeVito was. So I think that when you take away some of those mistakes that are being made by your leader. You're still behind an experienced offensive line. I think that one of the things that held this Illinois team back late is they weren't able to score points down the stretch, uh, but their defense still held strong, best defense um, in the Big Ten uh, by most standards. Uh, And I think that that defense continues to build as well. So offensively, I think they're growing, uh, and this is the time to do that. They're going to take a step forward on the offensive side of the ball uh, and, and really... I think that's kind of the ingredient that was missing to get them over that line last year when when the Big Ten West was still being decided in the final game of the season. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's and let me let me 
counterpoint. I'm gonna try to counterpoint each one of those, and just this a little bit of this is to play devil's advocate because I don't think that um, they're gonna necessarily take a huge step back. Um, and for some of the reasons you said, which is like the competition that they're playing against, they're gonna. I think they're gonna be in every game. Can I can I also say real quick as well? Yeah, the Big Ten has been one with eight wins as well. Yeah. So it's. I'm not saying that they're gonna be, you know, a, an 11 win juggernaut. I'm right. saying that they could put themselves in a position to be the team that comes out on top. Gotcha. Okay, and I think that's fair. I could very easily see, like, five teams with eight wins in this division this year. Does um, that statistically make sense? Probably not. Probably not. Um, who cares? <laughs> so, first of all, I, I don't think that you can lose Ryan Walters on as your defensive coordinator and just continue to chug along, especially with the, the turnover in the secondary. Um, they had three guys in that secondary who were taken in the top three rounds of the NFL draft. Not a point I made, by the way. You were like, I'm going to counter all your points. You didn't make, I did not make that point. Oh, okay. So, well, but, but, you, but you said that. So you lied. <laughs> I want all of our listeners to know you lied. <laughs> you made a lot, of, you made a lot of points that I have to try to. And I'm right. Poke through. Okay. <laughs> so, so they lose their, their DC, who that, was stellar. Absolutely. Um, that's that's he, the biggest, not to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you're okay. That is, that is I didn't the, cut you off. It's the biggest what? It's it is the 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 biggest hurdle they're going to have to overcome. Yes, absolutely. Yep, he took them from thirty over thirty points per game in twenty twenty all the way down to twelve point eight in twenty twenty two, which was first in the FBS. Like that's wildly incredible. Um, th- so like I said, yeah, they lose him. They lose their secondary, who were were the stars of the show. Um, on the offensive side, losing Chase Brown is going to, I think, be. Almost more devastating, probably, to this offense than Mo Ibrahim leaving Minnesota is to them. I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, Chase Brown was incredible. He led the nation in total rushes with 328. He was second. He was second in the Big Ten, maybe even overall, um, with over 1,600 yards. He had 48 rushes of more than 10 yards, uh, which was second in the FBS. He was doing this with a game manager at quarterback, and as good as their offensive line is. Um, they only allowed two yards before contact on average. And so he was doing a lot of the work to get yards after contact. Um, and then even with him being the elite talent that he is, um, under, under Brett Bielema, Illinois, in his, in his whole tenure, um, they have a 49-to-1 rush-to-touchdown ratio, which is 127th in the FBS. A little of that is inflated towards like the fact that they just run the ball a lot, but it also just speaks to the fact that they're just not highly efficient or explosive in the running game, or as, as much as they could could be or could conceivably with how much they run the ball. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that their offensive line just isn't opening up huge lanes and that Chase Brown had to work for a lot of it. Um, and so losing him, I think you lose that talent there. And yeah, they they do have Reggie Love who returns, and then Josh McCray who is a he's a bruiser of a guy. Um, without him and without Chase Brown in in the bowl game last year was the only game he sat out. As a team, they ran twenty eight times for twenty two yards. And I know you know bowl games you can't necessarily like trust all those numbers all the time, um, but I think it's at least a little bit representative maybe of what we'll see. I think there's going to be a pretty big step back in the running game in that sense. Um, Luke Altmyer, I do like as a quarterback. Um, just to touch on him, he he does transfer him f- from Old Miss. Uh, he's a very accurate passer. He's a dual threat guy. I think he's a he's an upgrade from from Danny DeVito. 
But uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> He's an upgrade from Tommy DeVito. If Danny DeVito was back there playing quarterback, he would need I, a I would jump stool. ship. This would be my new favorite team. I would cheer him on so hard. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, no, I, th- I, I just think that he's like Kalia Marcus over at Minnesota. Like he's just not experienced enough. I don't think he's, he's going to need time to, um, adjust to these big 10 defenses. Um, and he's not going to have a chase Brown to lean on, to help him as he's being pushed along. And so, um, and he's not going to have the same receiving core that, that Kelly Marcus has over in Minnesota either. Like he's got um Isaiah Williams who's a yeah. who's a who's a great slot guy like um he's a very reliable too and I think I think Illinois will kind of do what you were saying you think Minnesota will do where they're giving high percentage throws you know quick throws around the line of scrimmage and and Isaiah Williams excels at that he's he had 82 receptions last year was second most in the Big Ten behind only Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown <laughs> Charlie Jones we're just fucking up everybody's name um, but over half of his routes were, th- were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, over the half the routes that he ran. So um, so he'll be a really great safety valve. But again, I, I, you know, it, this just wasn't an explosive offense. Even with Chase Brown, again, just not um, not as successful as I think they should have been. And so I, I, I just see regression there. Um, Bielema has earned up a, or built up a little bit of credit as far as, like, you expect the ship to stay steady, even with some of these turnovers. But it's, it's not... A, it's not as established um, as what maybe PJ Fleck has done at Minnesota, just because of the the length of the tenure. Um, and then, and then my last point, I guess, would be Bielema is doing all of this with guys that weren't his. Like he he inherited a lot of this talent, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're we're just now getting around to Bielema's team, and and I don't always buy into that narrative. Um, where you you have to like get your own guys in or whatever, um, but I do think that there you see this happen a lot where like coaches come in and they're exceptionally um, successful with what they inherit, and then for some reason they they just can't keep things going. They can't like reload and, and restock, and so there starts to be this drop off after like year three or four when they have their own guys in and for whatever reason, things haven't developed the way that it appeared that they were going to. And so I'm not saying that necessarily that's what's going to happen. Um, But I've seen it enough to a point where I'm hesitant uh, when you see like a mass exodus of talent to the NFL, um, a lot of new guys transferring in and a, and a coach that was wildly successful in his first couple of years. I just, I've seen that drop off too many times to just be fully bought in. At this point, and I was bought into Bielema from the get-go, so I've kind of changed my tune on that. So I want to go after that very last point, okay? Because I didn't listen to anything else, and <laughs> that's why I don't know what I even said. No, it was good. That's I, I think you make very valid points, and and to me, this is a Purdue situation. Last year, we d- we questioned how is Jeff Brom going to, you know, match the success and build upon the success he had in the in the year prior when there was so much stuff missing, when he was losing coordinators, when he was losing key pieces to that defense. Uh, that was so successful, and I think good coaches can get guys where they need to be, regardless of who's, whose guys they were. I can guarantee you that those defense, those defenders from Illinois that went on to the NFL, and they had a, a mass exodus, basically. Like, how many guys did you say that they took in the end? Like the first three in the first three rounds, including the fifth overall pick. Right. I don't think Lovey Smith was getting those guys in that position. I think Bielema's no, staff he, he developed them yeah. to that level. And I think whoever he brings in, he knows he's going to be able to develop them 
to not only a point to be successful at the collegiate game, but also the next level. If they've been his guys and they've been in his system for a year or two years or all three, I'm I'm not as convinced on that last point that they're not going to get there because Bielema is a developer. He is a developer of talent, and, and he's shown that at all of his stops, and he was able to continue success at Wisconsin, not just over the first three years. I mean, he had a nice long run where he walked away with two Big Ten championships under his belt. So I I, I can see some of those pieces and I can buy into that and I do think losing Walters is a huge piece of the puzzle um but but I also think that Bielema is a good enough coach to identify talent both on the field and his in his staff to keep the train rolling and I think the momentum they've built up the quiet confidence he brings to the table um and I think the fact that things are wide open um I still think even with all of the things that are detracting against them there's enough good there that they can they can push this over the finish line for this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's I think that's fair to at least have some of those expectations. Yeah. Um and like I said I um my mind is more like my my fear of that drop off. I don't know, I'm not really afraid of it. I don't give a shit whether Illinois does or not. I don't give a fuck, but um you know that that expectancy is more um based on just like, you know, experience again and what yeah. I what I perceive or think I perceive it's not it's nothing to do with Bielema. I know a lot of it honestly probably has more to do with Illinois. Yeah. Um and the brand um and what you expect. Wisconsin is is a different brand than Illinois. Continuing sure. success at Wisconsin's a lot easier than sustaining it at Illinois. And so Is it cuz they don't know how to spell family? Yeah, or yeah, cuz they spell it <laughs> with an ill family. Family. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give them one more L. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Thanks. Okay. I stole that. Um, so Forget I said it. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think that's a nice little discussion on Illinois. Rather than diving in, you know, even further, we're going to cover the specifics of them once we play them as well. But I, I really kind of like that. That it, I'm, I'm almost eager to the, to get to this game and then be like, I told you or you told me. Like I'm kind of yeah. This will be this will be a nice little measuring stick on. It'll be fun to see how how their season shapes up. Yeah, I am, I, and. Of the, I mean, we're doing three teams. Minnesota and Illinois are, are incredibly intriguing. I know there's probably yeah. a lot um, of interest around Wisconsin because Luke Fickle and and you know them changing to like a spread offense, and so that'll be fun to look at um, and just to see how he does. Um, and then of course Iowa. I don't know. There's nothing fun about Iowa, but um, to see how they handle like having a quarterback this year and, and to see <laughs> how they handle how they it. fuck that up. <laughs> um, I, I think Illinois and Minnesota are incredibly interesting. Yeah. Um, they're, they have probably the fewest question marks and the fewest turnover. Like not, they're not with a new head coach um, outside of Iowa. They're the fewest turnover. And so, I don't know. They're just, they're, they fascinate me. I yeah. really am very intrigued by both these teams because I think they could finish anywhere from first to fifth. Yeah. Easily. So, if uh, out, of, out of these teams, I'm going to take Nebraska out of the equation. I'm going to take Purdue out of the equation. I'm going to take Northwestern out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, but the remaining teams, do you have a favorite? Like, is there someone that – are we going to talk about them next episode? I'm no. Assuming? Well, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can tell you, like, right now, I honestly – I think the the West will go Iowa, Wisconsin. <sighs> I know. It'll go – I think Iowa's going to be good. Iowa, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, and uh, Northwestern. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how it shakes out in my mind right now. So okay, that's fair. Well, what do you say that we put a pin in talking? Fo- oh, do we have to do that? We should do the one, two, three. I'll be Illinois this time. You get to be I, Nebraska. I be Nebraska. You get to be Nebraska. You were you were Minnesota last time. 
So, okay. Okay. So we'll we'll do a realistic number. Okay. The way you're talking, this could be interesting. Well, we didn't. I mean, we didn't really talk much about their defense. They actually have a really good front seven that I think is going to give Nebraska all sorts of. Fits. Yeah. They, so despite losing, yeah, their they secondary lost, and their defensive coordinator, they only lost their nose tackle. Yeah, but they yeah they still have really great defensive ends and outside linebackers there that are going to be fucking. Nasty yeah, they're going to have a nice with. pass rush. That that I am looking forward to them when they play everyone but Nebraska. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a, a, a real nice pass rush on the edge with uh, Zerhan Newton and Keith Randolph Jr. Yeah. I think that's going to be kind of the anchor of that defense is how can they get to the quarterback and, and how do teams stop that? Yep. That's because, I mean, that's going to be front of mind, right? Yeah. Like you have to stop that. And so even without a defensive coordinator who's seasoned with this team and calling the plays, I'm sure there's a, enough carryover. And then when you bring in an analyst, like fucking, fucking Jim, Jim Leonard, God damn it, <laughs> um, who's clearly he circled one. You know what? Oh, I want did them. you did you listen to Bielema at Big Ten Media Days? No. When they asked him about Jim Leonard, uh-uh. um, great answer that he gave. They're like, just tell us a little bit about you know the genesis of, of Jim coming on. And he was like, well, after you know uh, Jim moved on from Wisconsin, I had been talking to him on the phone, and we had kind of been. Uh, I, uh, he, he played for me at Wisconsin, all this sort of stuff. So I've known Jimmy, you know, anytime you call someone a nickname, you're like, Oh shit, this is trouble. Right. So he's like, I've known Jimmy, great player. I knew him through the NFL, would call him, talk to him, talk football, that sort of thing. And then when, um, when he moved on from Wisconsin, we called him up and we had an analyst role for him. So he won't be coaching on the field, uh, during the week or during the games. He works Monday through Thursday and then he has weekends off. He gets to go be with his family in Wisconsin. I was like, well, you know what? For a year, that's probably a pretty damn good gig. Yeah, that's a solid job. I get to try and get revenge against Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I work Monday through Thursday, a yep. schedule I would take. I get to watch all of the football games, and then I come back to work the next week. And then in a year, he will be a defensive coordinator in the NFL, or he will be a head coach uh, in a group of five or at Indiana, or, uh, <laughs> 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 or possibly, and, and this, I guess we can talk about this now, I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up at Iowa. Wow. Okay. If he winds up as head coach of Iowa. If Kirk Ferentz goes out, if he, if, I think if Kirk Ferentz wins the Big Ten or the Big Ten West, I think this might be his swan song. And then I think a guy like Jim Leonard could come in and do pretty damn well at Iowa. He could do great there. Oh, do you think he would ever consider Northwestern if that was available to you him? You know, I'm with all um, these challenges. We're going to talk about it, but I'm, I'm actually eager to see what Braun does. Um, at Northwestern as interim, I think that there's a possibility that with the kind of structure that he comes from and working with talent that's on par, I think, and, and maybe sometimes better than what Northwestern was bringing in, I don't think he's the worst fit to be a defensive-minded coach who's disciplined, uh, a championship-caliber coach. Yeah. We'll see how things go there. Northwestern likes him enough to throw him to the fire at Big Ten Media Days and, right. and go from there. So mm-hmm. could I see Leonard going there? I don't know that that's the ideal job. Um, I think he's... I don't want to say he's better than that because I do think Northwestern's a great school uh, as far as their academics go, and I think they have great facilities for football, so I think there's some some nice things there, but um, he probably doesn't want to deal with the administration right now. Yeah, I'll say he's better than that. Okay, I'll say it too I, then. I think, he's a, I think he's above that job, certainly. Yeah, I think I honestly think Iowa would be a crazy good fit, a defensive-minded school that likes to pull you down into the muck. Yeah, I would not be happy with that. I wouldn't but, either, but I'm saying it's possible. Okay. Any other thoughts on their on Illinois defense? I cut you off. So. No, that's okay. No, I was just gonna say I think I think next year, you know, we this year the conversation is man, like they just lost a bunch of NFL talent in their secondary. I think next year it'll be man, they lost a bunch of NFL talent on their front seven, and um, 
and so yeah so I, I anyway i think they're gonna i think they're gonna pose fits okay for us so who am i again you're nebraska i'm nebraska yeah <laughs> okay okay um, let me let me think on this okay gotcha. okay i'm good okay you ready yep one two three 20. 24 uh i'm not gonna like that game <laughs> <laughs> no. it's like yeah they they did not give up points last year at all i think that they will take a big step back in terms of giving up an extra touchdown or even 10 points a game um but it's even that <laughs> so yeah. that's not a lot of points man 20, 20 even if it was 24 points a game like that's still a pretty solid defense yeah um i think that i think illinois is going to get into a lot of those types of games low 20s on both sides of or both both sides of the field yeah um and and yeah finish i think they finish like a six and six i think they they lose oh, okay. lose one that they shouldn't and i think that they win one that they shouldn't and then everything else kind of goes chalk for them yeah, they almost beat michigan last year mm. you know they had they had some real good close they, games they flopped against indiana though so yeah so yeah they're i think i think they stick in that sort of same zone okay which is fine i think if Bielema can hold serve this year with this turnover and then find their footing to to kind of move forward in the next year maybe he can continue to build cool so anyway well, on that note uh, let's grab another beer. Let's do it. We've got ourselves our next beer on the docket, which is the Corn Stalker, which is a dark wheat from Thunderhead Brewing. Uh, they describe the beer as a dark American wheat, clean, roasty, round, brewed with malted Nebraska corn, surprisingly dry, incredibly drinkable. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I agree with that assessment. It's got a nice, like on the back end, it is pretty dry, like a nice snappiness to it. Um, I was I was trying to look up to see real quick if I could find out what their grain bill was on this because there is a, a wheat malt called Midnight Wheat that's a darker roast that you can you can put into these these beers that'll um, it'll kind of give it that that roasty quality that you get maybe in like a porter or a stout from darker malts, but it doesn't have the same sort of like bitterness to it, and so. In a wheat beer like this, um, yeah, it gives it it gives it that roasty character, which definitely comes through on this. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, it doesn't have the same astringency, um, so you don't have to, you know, end up with a too too bitter of a beer. Yeah, and I so, like this one. I like the yeah. nose on it. Uh, it gives a very full, strong-bodied nose, uh, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily pack that same punch on the palate. It's very crisp, yeah. uh, very drinkable, like a wheat beer should be. Yes. You know, that's a beer that should be a very accessible beer. But this is one of those that might be a nice, like, okay, try this. Now try our porter and see how those flavors on the nose then develop onto the palate. So this is a nice little progression beer where you go from saying, oh, I like Golden Frau. I like the nice light wheat beer. It's crisp. It's refreshing. There's little citrus notes. It's like, okay, well, let's let's see how those can then evolve when we change that grain bill a little bit, add in a little bit more of those roasty qualities, but still aren't putting our foot fully on the on the gas. Yeah. So I like that. It's a nice It's a nice balance. It makes sense that it's available in stores kind of everywhere you go because it is one of those beers that's good to just to sit back and sip but also get a little bit more complexity and, and a little bit more of that uh, stronger profile. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, just an incredibly drinkable beer. Yeah. Well, like I said, check out Thunderhead Brewing. They're available all across the state of Nebraska. You can find them in grocery stores, liquor stores. Um, you can visit their tap rooms. They've got tap rooms also all across the state, which is really cool. Um, they've got the original pub still up and running in Kearney and, uh, that was opened in the year 2000. Um, that made me think of the Conan O'Brien skit in the year 2000. Have you ever seen that? No. You want to walk us through it? No, I yeah. really don't. <laughs> uh, it is, it is. I was like, no, I don't. Let me tell you about yeah. it though. 
you can look it up on your own time. All right. We've all got YouTube. But check out Thunderhead's website is what I was going to say because gotcha. they, like I said, have those really cool videos about the history of certain beers. So if there's a, a drink that you like from them, there's a really good chance they go into the history of it. And then you can yeah. learn neat facts like they make 200 gallons of Thunder Punch a month, <laughs> yeah, which is just absolutely insane. I love that. I'm going to check those videos out. After yeah. I do the, I'll do the Conan and then I'll pop over to. Yeah. That they, that's cool that they do those histories. I didn't yeah. know that. And it's really nice. Fun. I mean, you can, cause you can sit and drink the beer while watching it and, and just. Absolutely. Yeah, it rounds out the experience. That's the most fun that I, I love. Like that's the beauty of something like a diners, drive-ins and dives or any kind of any, you know, the big 10 does that too, where they like do the food mm, tours and yeah. you're like, Oh, that's my haunt. Like I eat there. I drink there. Like that's the thing I enjoy. And then when people are highlighting it, you're like, oh, I do have good taste. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. I was thinking more like it's just fun for them to like pull back the curtain. But if you need to like. No, it's all about. Feel better. <laughs> yeah. About your personal. Self-promotion. Preferences. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 100%. 100%. I am, I am all here to make sure that my decisions are validated. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and that I feel complete as a human based on the things I choose to be. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. What do you say we uh, we talk about Northwestern? Let's jump in. Okay. So before we talk about Northwestern football, I want to take a moment to talk about the hazing that took place within the football program, which has been made national news over the past month. And it's going to continue into this football uh, camp and into the football season. Yeah. Typically, we use these introductions to poke fun uh, and have a laugh. But hazing allegations, the ones that were uh, substantiated by independent investigations, are nothing to joke about. For anyone wondering or questioning the seriousness of these actions, the suicide rate among young men ages 15 to 24 is experiencing nearly its highest rate in the United States. In 2022, that age group saw an 8% increase year over last, with over 47,000 young men taking their own lives. The hazing allegations comprise of two of the three most oft-cited causes of suicide within this demographic, which are being bullied at school, college, or work, and a history of physical and sexual abuse. As someone who personally struggles with mental health issues, I understand the stigma placed on anyone, not just men, when it comes to caring for our own mental well-being. It's important to me that with whatever platform this podcast provides, uh, that you all know resources are out there and available to those of us in need. If you or a loved one is experiencing thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988 or visit the Suicide Prevention Resource Center at sprc.org. Again, that's the lifeline at 988 or sprc.org. You can also contact with Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration by visiting samhsa.org or calling 1-800-662-HELP. It's 1-800-662-HELP. So, just wanted to put that out there. We're not going to try and make light of these hazing allegations. They're not anything to poke fun at. Um, I know that that's kind of our MO is to just poke fun and make light of certain situations. But this isn't one of those things. Um, you know, again, we're not here to, to comment on or, or be a talking head that dives in to talking about the issues that are going on at Northwestern. We're nowhere near qualified to do that. So we're not going to do that barely qualified to talk about football yeah so we'll just stick to that absolutely so yeah. we just want to get that out of the way but also not have it just be one of those things that we just shrug off um, this is a, a topic that's important to me I know it's important to Drew um, and so we just want folks to know that help is out there um, your voice is powerful we take this stuff seriously so please if, if you are in need um, know that there are resources there for you so 
with that being said, Drew, I'm going to turn it over to you for our Northwestern introduction. All righty. On October 21st, the Wildcats journey to Memorial Stadium to take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Kickoff time for Saturday the 21st is still TBD. At the moment, the Wildcats are led by interim head coach David Braun in his first season at the helm. Braun took over as interim head coach following the July 10th firing of Pat Fitzgerald. 2023 marks not just Braun's first season at the helm, but his first season at Northwestern. Prior to joining the Evanston staff, Braun served as the defensive coordinator at North Dakota State from 2019 to 2022, winning two national championships in the process. Last year, the Northwestern Wildcats finished 1-11 with their only win coming against a team in where else, Ireland. The Wildcats bested an 11-point deficit after a failed onside kick by that team. Swung After that onside kick swung the momentum back to Northwestern. Following their win overseas, the Wildcats failed to win a single game on American soil. What team was that? <laughs> Why are you avoiding it? Why are you trying to edit on the fly? What team did they beat? Uh, Nebraska. Uh, Braun has a tall task ahead as he looks to get the Wildcats back on track. A favorable start to the season with Rutgers, UTEP, and Howard mixed in with Duke, Minnesota, and Penn State gives Northwestern a chance at 500 before meeting with Nebraska in late October. Will the Wildcats deliver Nebraska another unsavory loss, or will Nebraska's new cat coaching staff not try and put this one away in the third quarter? We'll find out when NU faces NU on October 21st. I typed faced, and you just so perfectly and professionally like yeah. skipped over. On the fly. You did it. That's what I do. Yep. You've shown time and time again that you can <laughs> edit yourself on the fly. Oh, man. All right. So, true or false for Northwestern? Oh, yeah. This is a this was a fun one for me. Was uh, it? Yeah, it was. This falls into my my other passions, which is movies. <gasps> Mine too. No way. Okay. Okay. Well, here we go. Funky butt loving. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love this movie, <laughs> and that's one of the most ridiculous lines, but not in that movie. That's actually the second most ridiculous line in that movie. Okay, but when anyway, you break sorry. that line down, <laughs> it's, it's so, how can they? How did they say how did that? They get away with it. That would have been rated R. Yeah. If my kid ever says that, he's eating soap straight away. Like, <laughs> no. my my other favorite is um, when they're in the middle school cafeteria and they're looking at the girl and they're like, "Man, milk has done that body good." <laughs> it is priceless. Anyway, sorry. Okay, I love that movie. So, okay, my trivia has to do with that movie. Yeah. The 1993 film Rookie of the Year, which filmed in Evanston, Illinois' Haven Middle School and stars Thomas Ian Nicholas as a middle schooler who winds up pitching for the Chicago Cubs, was originally developed as a way of reuniting actors Daniel Stern, Joe Pesci, and Macaulay Culkin and hopefully recapturing the box office success of Home Alone. Ooh, that's interesting because Daniel Stern was in that movie. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say what would Joe Pesci have been? Who would he have been? Okay. <laughs> That's, you almost got me. But true or false, true? False. It's true. Dang it. Ah, I was going to say true. It's true. Okay. So, okay. Um, so the first off, Daniel Stern not only was in that movie, he directed that movie. No shit. Yeah. Wow. So the studio originally wanted Daniel Stern to cast Joe Pesci as Chet Stedman, the role that went to Gary Busey. 
Joe Pesci was going to be the the fading be star the, of a baseball player, <laughs> <laughs> the pitcher who mentors you know Henry Rowan Gardner. Okay. Or the role of the baseball commentator. So those were the two roles that were pitched to Pesci. Okay. Neither one of those would have been good for Pesci. Not at all. <laughs> he would have been the angriest baseball commentator. Yeah. Which, if I remember in that movie, the does the baseball commentator like does he drink on the job and he's like kind of a, a bigger guy with like brown I don't know maybe I'm confusing it with angels in the outfield I'm not sure um, but anyways <laughs> Stern felt if Pesci was cast many audiences and critics would unfavorably compare his film to the first two Home Alone films mm-hmm. which to date remain the most successful films of Stern's acting career okay. um, the studio also tried to recruit uh, Daniel Stern to have Macaulay Culkin play Henry uh, because of the actor's history with Culkin from Home Alone but Culkin was unavailable because his father demanded he star in The Good Son as a condition for 20th Century Fox greenlighting Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Uh, Daniel Stern was inspired to direct this movie because it deals with kids who have to deal with fame and being controlled by adults as managers who make all of their decisions for them. Hmm. He experienced that a lot on the set of Home Alone and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, observing how his co-star Macaulay Culkin was dictated by his domineering father and wanted to direct a movie that paralleled his real-life observances. So, the movie Rookie of the Year. Holy shit, that's deep. It's kind of dark. fuck. I know, right? <laughs> you wouldn't have expected Funky wow. Butt-Lovin' and Milk's Done That Body Good to yeah. come from... I mean, I I know they hit it on the nose with the... with the Not the stepdad. I don't know, he's the step-boyfriend, I guess, yeah. or whatever. Um, trying to, like, control and manage the, the whole situation. But, yeah, I guess I never... As a kid, you don't look at it in that light. No. At least, yeah, I didn't with... Yeah. Huh. It just that's lets amazing you, though. Yeah. It yeah. lets you know how deep, you know, movies are. Yeah. And then what shows up on screen, you're like, okay. <laughs> There's some serious Good on, good on David Stern. Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Well, who's Dave David Stern's the NBA? Wasn't he an NBA commissioner? It sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> um a lot of movies, uh, by the way, are uh are filmed in Evanston, Illinois. So uh are you familiar? Was Ferris Bueller? That's one of them. John Hughes, uh, famous writer and director who passed a few years ago. Um, he wrote a lot of the 80s movies that you know and love. 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He Bre- wrote Home Breakfast Al- Club? Uh, was he that guy? Breakfast Club, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wrote Vegas Vacation, or not Vegas Vacation, um, National Lampoon's Vacation. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of movies that he's written and directed, and he's from Chicago. A lot of movies get filmed in Evanston. Um, one of my wife's favorite movies, She's Having a Baby. Um, I mentioned that to her. I was like, hey, I got a trivia question that has to do with she's having a baby and she's like oh my god i can't wait to listen and i'm like you don't listen the to one this. episode yeah. she'll turn into yeah. yeah she i'll be like it's it's two hours into the episode she's like well you know that's why they have the skip function you just hit yeah. that like little 10 second arrow like a thousand times and she'll read is yours is your set to 10 for skip mine's set to 30 Can i skip 30 it? at a time yeah oh yeah i don't listen to this show so i don't you don't listen to other podcasts either I do actually listen to other podcasts. They're you started really, listening to podcasts? Um, well, That's a big step. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. I don't skip them because I enjoy them. Well, like ads. I skip if I ads. was listening to this one. Don't skip our ads but <laughs> <laughs> if we have them. Real quick, though, uh-huh. this is this is a question that I find interesting as well because I think that um, baseball works best uh, as a construct for a film. I think that it's like the best. In terms of, in terms of sport I or think, just I think, anything? I think, well, yeah. In terms of just baseball as a sport is best enjoyed in the form of the, of a movie not in the form of the sport correct itself wow okay <laughs> okay this is i know that might be a, a solid or a horrible take whatever i think yeah I would, a, I would put golf in that category over baseball you think golf is is, is best more consumed enjo- as a movie 
I if you, I had to if I had to watch either golf or a you golf want, film. You want me to go way off the rails? I don't think there's F1 a single reason. good golf movie. <gasps> what about Happy Gilmore? Nope. It's not a good movie. Um what about Tin Cup? Close. Okay. What about all those other golf I movies that I know, can't name. You want to know, a re- <laughs> Caddyshack is the one that usually gets brought up. Oh, okay. I don't like Caddyshack. I didn't find, I didn't really enjoy Caddyshack. I'll awesome. So that makes two of us. Anyways, uh, bypass all that. We're going to get so much hate if anyone listens <laughs> to me, like, you don't like Caddyshack? It's like, no, it's not a good movie. It's just a bunch of funny things that happen on a golf course, but it's yeah. not like a, anyways. Yeah. What's the best baseball movie? Mm, the Sandlot. Okay, cool. Moving on. Agreed. Okay. I think, were you, try, were you just like locked and loaded, ready to fight if... I no. said something else. Or, I was just okay. curious. I think I think baseball a movies are on a good baseball movies. I think that the best sports movies are baseball movies. Yeah, I'm yeah. not disagreeing, but I would disagree. I think baseball itself is far more enjoyable. It is the soil that allows for the growth of the. I've not you know watched. I mean? like, I've never watched a baseball game as good as the Sandlot, as good as Bull Durham, as good as Moneyball, as good as. Field of Dreams, as good as oh. The Perfect Game. I've never seen a single baseball game as good as any of those movies. Well, I'm sad for you. I, I love a lot of those movies, but I've I've been involved in baseball games, like, emotionally, almost to the to the depth of what I've experienced during Nebraska football games. Okay. So, mm. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I don't know. There's, there's so much... There's so much around that sport and it is so great and there's so many so many personalities and just yeah again i think it's just yeah it's a good place it's there's a lot to draw from and i think that's why it is conducive to to storytelling that's fine the natural i could i mean there's so many good baseball movies did you say bull durham i did say bull durham okay yeah should make sure we got that one yeah i think i think like if you drew a, a list of the top 10 best sports films baseball is go- is going to at least be thirty percent of that list? We don't a lot of them. What what? Which ones wouldn't? Which one? Which other ones? Which other sports sport movies would crack the top ten that are not that aren't baseball? Baseball like Rocky. Okay, would be up there. Holiday Nights. I would argue. I mean, that, <laughs> that is a great one. It's a good one if you um, count if you count race car. I mean, have you seen the movie Rush? If you want to talk about race car movies or Ford Ferrari, like uh-uh. there's some really good yeah. non baseball movies, but I think baseball like time after time. I think baseball is more romantic of an idea than it is an actual execution. Okay. We don't need to get off. I mean, this is <laughs> this is how good Northwestern is this year. That this is where we we're would just avoid them. <laughs> so, anyways, we play them in oh, October. Golly. And uh, I all right. Let me. I'll do my. Um, yeah. True let's, false. It's not going to get away from. We haven't movies. even gotten. It. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Keep going. It is. I. I was okay. So again, I was going with the theme. Of, of their head coaches. And okay. I almost always end up inadvertently even tr- doing a theme for the first two. And then the third one, I can never find one to tie in. Sure. Um, this one, I, David Brown, there's a little out there on him. Um, it just so happened. So it false. F- I'm say my, false. <laughs> it fell into my lap, um, this thing. Okay. But it may or may not be true or false. Maybe okay. I got, maybe I got tricky switching things up. You know what? Okay. Okay. Everyone knows David Braun graduated from Kettle Moraine High School, home of the 2022 Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association State Championship football team. Go Lasers. But did you know? Horrible name. <laughs> I, thought was a, I thought it was neat. No, I mean for that organization. <laughs> the, the Athletic Association. Did you know 
Another graduate of Kettle Moraine is the guy who wrote the screenplay for Jurassic Park. David Kep. David Kep. Is it David Kep? Did he graduate from Kettle Moraine? I'm going to say true. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> he did. What else? Do you know what other movies he wrote? I bet you can name like. Um, he's written a lot of movies, actually. Yeah. He's, he's actually like a notorious script doctor. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, he's very well established in Hollywood. Um, let's see. He wrote and directed Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais, which is one that I really enjoy. That's the one you went to. <laughs> That's your first one. Yeah. That's the one that I go to. He wrote Spider-Man yeah. 2002, uh, directed by Sam Raimi. Um, let's see. What else has David Kep written? He's written uh, an Indiana Jones sequel. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's a very prolific Screenwriter. I say, Mission Impossible is the other. Yeah, he wrote the 96 version. I didn't know that off the top of my head. I didn't know any of this. Cool. What other movies did you have written down? None. I put Mission Impossible and Spider Man. (laughs) And then I was like, well, there's a bunch of other ones that like people will know, but I don't care to waste ink. Yeah. You know? No, so, um, yeah, you want to talk about David Kep? We can. Here's what, here's my interesting fact about it. I think, I honestly, I want to just cut my off my (laughs) interesting fact. No, yeah, what do you no, think? No, go ahead. No, no, you I was going to say, I think David Kep actually wrote The Perfect Game with Kevin Costner, directed by Sam Raimi as well. I'll have to look that up, but yeah. I'm pretty sure he wrote that as well. Maybe. Yeah. Go I ahead. Sorry, know. I didn't mean yeah. to cut you. I, you did. I'm so That's shitty cool. at that. <laughs> I don't care. I do. Did you know that his screenplays have raked in $2.3 billion in U.S. box office sales, which ranks him ninth all time among screenwriters? Wow. That's That's how prolific he is. You're right. He's a... He's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, and he's, I guess, like, from what I saw, he's getting into a lot more, like, writing and then directing his own stuff now. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, he's part of the old guard. He's he's one of those guys that were, you know, they know how to tell a story. Yes. You yeah, know? Jurassic Park's one of my favorite oh, so good of all time. Yeah. What are your other favorite? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great true or false because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in it. I'm you in were it. on top. Yeah, you were on top of that one. I didn't, I was yeah. like, who's David? I just saw... On Wikipedia, David, like, you know, famous grads, there's three of them. K-O-E-P-P? Yeah, yeah. Bron and Kepper, and then they have a baseball player, a former baseball player or whatever. I was like, I just saw screenwriter, and I was like, sure, why not? And like, let's roll it. And then he actually ended up being like an, yeah, he was a dude. Yeah, he was one of the guys. So, there you go. Kettle, Kettle Moraine. Kettle Moraine. Lasers out of Wales, Wisconsin. Okay. That is a mouthful. (laughs) Can you imagine that in a Wisconsin accent? (laughs) How would you to- toast the toast and toast? They got along the weird O's. Yeah. I don't know. Wisconsin. They know they talk with the Wisconsin. Kettle Moraine. <laughs> Welcome well, to Kettle Moraine. Welcome to Kettle Moraine Lasers <laughs> in Wales, Wisconsin. <laughs> Pull oh, up a man. seat, bud. Let's let's watch this football game, huh? So, Northwestern. Um, they got to play this year. Yeah. You know... Here's here's what I'm gonna say about Wisconsin, just from an over or Wisconsin about Northwestern, um, from an overall point of view, I I really um, I want, I want, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Um, I like David Braun. Okay. I like the program he comes from in North Dakota State University. Yeah. I like bringing him in um, as a defensive coordinator. I thought that was a great decision, uh, and I like that they went internal for an interim head coach someone who's at least got some familiarity with these players uh but is someone who is somewhat new yeah has had success at the levels he's been at um and i think that there's maybe going to be something to him as a potential 
head coach throughout this season or maybe moving into the future in, in future seasons. For that scandal, for that article, for whatever you want to call it that, that happened with Pat Fitzgerald, uh, with the hazing allegations, Northwestern has only lost, up to this date, three players to the portal. Yeah. I think that speaks volumes to the kind of leadership that is in place there now. Uh, the caliber of students that are brought in who um, are respecting uh, David Braun as their head coach. And there could have been a mass exodus and nobody would have blamed anybody. But they have not lost a lot of players. And in a time where um, they easily could, and again, no one would point a finger, they'd say, we understand, you know, you're Division One athletes. Uh, things are in a downward spiral. Your administration is kind of leaving your head coach out to dry and that sort of thing. Um, I think for the players to not have to go to Big Ten Media Days to be able to say, we're not going and have your coach support you shows the kind of leader that he's going to be, whether that happens to be at Northwestern or somewhere else down the road. Um, so I have confidence in David Braun of being someone who can right the ship. Okay. That may not translate to wins, Yeah, but that, that should translate into taking care of these young men who trusted in this university. That trust may have been violated. But now they've got someone there who has come from a championship culture and can hopefully instill and care for these kids. Yeah. When you hear him talk at Big Ten Media Days, I don't like that Northwestern's the first time anyone from their athletic department or anywhere came out to say anything. It had to be him, an interim guy who was not expecting to be in this position 10 days prior or however many days prior. Um, but for him to get up there and do his best in that situation and kind of face that head on, I, I do appreciate that and respect that. So. Uh, that's what I'll say kind of on, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the football goes, it's it's not looking great for Northwestern. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I don't know what to say. You know, um, they're inexperienced. They only return two starters on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a transfer who joined them after spring who's been kind of a journeyman transfer in Ben Bryant. You know, he's been to Cincinnati, and then he went away, and then he came back to Cincinnati. He's a he's a decent passer, but he's got almost a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio, which isn't uh, the best. They lost Evan Hull to the NFL, uh, and they look to replace with guys who haven't been super productive. Their offensive line is replacing four starters, uh, including Peter Skaronsky, uh, who, um, you know, was an NFL-caliber guy. So, like, they're losing a lot of talent. Yeah. And the talent they lost led them to 1-11. and 11. So I don't know with what they're replacing, where their mind's at, all that sort of stuff, if it really translates. Just talking about the offense, we haven't gotten to defense, but <laughs> if, if it translates to anything better than last year. Yeah, I'm um, I'm right there with you. It, you. You look at this and you want, you almost want to find kind of like a silver lining yeah. in terms of football for some of these players. Um, it's, I don't think it's there. And, I, and, the, and the outside noise and everything going on, it's not going to be conducive to to a positive like football environment so um but but just looking at it man like they're northwestern um what made them so great for north uh, by their standards and and i think by a lot of standards honestly for so long was uh was mark hankwitz when he was there as their defensive coordinator um his his teams his defense has only allowed 30 or more points 14 times in the five years that he was there. And since he left, um, the past two years, 
they've allowed 30 or more points on defense 15 times which is just you yeah. know you see you see that huge drop off and and again that's why that's why David Brown was brought in to try to restore some of that and I think um he would have had the potential to and he still does I think having a having a defensive guy as your head coach um just from a football perspective now for Northwestern I think that was important for them um there's such incredible turnover at offense this year that I don't know you I don't think you could bring anybody in to really you know retool that in a hurry that's good that's going to take time and they didn't yeah you know what I mean like yeah I they, think they were gonna I think they were I think they were willing to kind of take their lumps and, and and really start to you know relay a foundation right essentially and so um I think I think Ben Bryant at the quarterback position is is fine he's a he's a he's a six-year super senior um he does have some experience you talked about his touchdown interception ratio not being great but last year he was 21 21 to 7 and so he, and, and he had almost 3,000 yards passing and so he can be okay at that spot. He can be steady at that spot for them, sure. which they need. Last year they rotated through, I think, four different quarterbacks, and nobody found uh, but, a rhythm or anything good for them. But Brian was also successful at Cincinnati. You know, he had a three to one ratio at Cincinnati under Luke Fickle in a team that was designed to do that. Yeah, I'm not saying he's good. I, I think he just. I think he was a better fit there than he is at Northwestern. He just happens to be a guy with experience, but mm-hmm. they don't have. I mean, they, they, they don't have the, the tools. They don't have the line to give him time, and they don't have the receivers as targets. So I, like, was, I was getting there. I'm going to shit on the guy. Let me shit on him. Give me well, a chance. Well, no, I'm just saying. Here's the problem with here's the problem with Bryant, this fucker. <laughs> this dude. He Okay, so he does not have a line, right? It's Peter, Peter Skronsky is not blocking for him and, and, and protecting his blind side. Um, I was looking at Inside NU. That's where I got this info from because I don't know enough about this dude, but they apparently do. Um, they said that he struggles a lot when he's under pressure. Cool. That's when he gets wonky. That's when he starts to throw stuff he shouldn't be throwing. He'll throw a lot off his back foot. Um, and then he also locks on to receivers pre-snap. So he won't necessarily read the defense and what they're doing. He he knows ahead of time who he wants to throw to, and whatever's happening in front of his eyes won't change that. And so I don't know if that's if if he just doesn't have confidence in his read, if he doesn't have the knowledge or whatever. Um, I think he's going to be he's a mistake prone guy, um, and I think under duress you're going to see that exaggerated a lot. Um, and again, with with losing their starting running back, this is another team that they're not going to be able to fall back on on their running game this year like they could have last year. So it it really is looking like a recipe for ugliness yeah and that's not even getting into the the fact that they lost their top three pass catchers and like 50 some percent of production through the air as well so um so their defense yeah let's just let's move. talk about let's, their defense let's i mean is there i don't need good to there? i don't need to dwell on their offense i don't want to beat because, a dead horse yeah so um again this is one of those situations where they've lost a lot of talent um they've only got one returning starter on the defensive line um, they lost talent uh, at safety and Jeremiah Lewis transferring very recently. Which, he was one of the three. Yeah. He was the only one of those three who had starting experience. But I think he was also the only senior on the defensive side of the ball so, that was expected to start. Yeah. I mean, so it's young and yeah. inexperienced. Um, the one thing I will say that they've got going for them, uh, they do have a decent starting linebacker core. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bryce Gallagher and Xander Mullen are going to carry this defense. Um, they're going to provide as much as they can uh, to stop the run, which I think you, you almost have to focus your attention there in the Big Ten West. Like, 
if we're going to do anything, let's focus on stopping the run. Yeah. Right. Let's not get exposed. Let's not, let's not have uh, big gashed plays through the run. If they beat us in the air one-on-one and we provide coverage over the top or something like that, so be it. You know, we can't stop anything like that, but we can at least focus our attention on, on stopping the run and taking that out of the game. Yeah. And I think that's where, where David Brown really fits in is the guy that's their not, I mean, deep, he's he's in charge of the defense still. I imagine. Yeah, he's still defensive like, coordinator. Yeah, he's he wants his his middle linebackers, his linebackers to be, you know, downhill, attack the run, stop the run, and that's what Northwestern needs. They were the worst rush defense in the Big Ten last year, and so to have these two, you know, you know, steady backers, their top two tacklers from last year, to have them returning, to be able to lean on them to maybe shore up some of those those weaknesses and maybe maybe hide some of the weaknesses as well. Um, I think that's going to be critical to any sort of success that they could have on the defensive side. And I think that's, I think that's good for them. That's probably the, the most positive thing that I found on that team. Yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, losing, um, losing Lewis at safety. I think that that's a pretty major blow. Cause you do want, you want, I feel like you want at least one guy at each level to come back to help like lead your room to, to be your field general. Um, and that, so that was a serious blow, I yeah. think in that oh, sense yeah. for them. So very unfortunate, but, um, like you said, the fact that they've only lost, you know, one, one starter yeah, is pretty incredible. And I think it, it probably does speak to, um, the, the unity of the team, um, Braun, his leadership, their trust in him. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, as much as these scandals make you want to turn, you know, these teams into villains, uh, it's not fair to the players that aren't involved. It's not fair to the players who maybe suffered under some of these allegations and things like that. Like you want those guys to find their peace and their success. And so if a guy transfers out, you understand, but you also like it's college athletics, man. Like these are still kids. Like I think about who I was at 18, 19, 20 and something like this would just completely shake my foundation and and would make me question so much. And it's like, did I make the wrong decision here? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you're a victim here, right? It's not, it's not anything like you made a a bad decision. Northwestern's a great academic institution. You're playing for a football program that appeared to be on the rise as of recent winning the big 10 West, not too long ago, brand new facilities, beautiful facilities, some of the best in the conference. Um, And so, you know, the college football is better when, when teams are great. Right. And this is another one of those examples of like, when a team that is hard to recruit to has high standards, you know, when, when they're talented, a big alumni association, I think the biggest, um, or one of the, one of the best alumni associations in the country, like when, when those teams are good, it's fun. And so I, I hope that they are able to find success. Like I said, I liked what David Braun had to bring to the big 10 media days, his, his confidence, his composure, Mm -hmm. uh, but also the fact that he did respect his players enough to say, you don't want to come. I understand why. And I'm not going to put you out there. I'm not going to hang you out to dry. Yeah. I think that that speaks a lot to at least what he wants to do in his time as the interim. However, that evolves. So be it. But um, I could see him being the guy that they hang on to uh, for, you know, at least a few years to see how things go. Yeah. Um, I mean, every, everything else aside, it would have been nice to see him as the DC to see what he yeah. could have done and to, yeah. and to see if he could have brought that success from from North Dakota State in the FCS and and sort of help Northwestern find their footing again on the field. Yeah. 
because um, that's what they've always hung their hat on. It's the, the defensive side under Fitzgerald. So um, I feel like, again, everything set aside, and this is, um, it seems shallow and selfish to say, but it feels like you're kind of like robbed of that that opportunity to see what he could have done. And I think he was robbed of an opportunity to transition um, and to grow in his own profession. Um, but he has, he did do an incredible job. Um, you know, he was one of the coaches that I did, I did watch his his uh, introduction at, at the media days, and um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't flashy. It was it was really just well prepared. But under those circumstances, I thought he did an incredible job. Yeah. Um, and so I expect I expect to see that um, translate into success in a in a bigger like more capital S success sort of way off yeah. the field at Northwestern for him. So nice. Any thoughts on their special teams? Um, let's see. They return their starting punter and which is is not nope. He's a little bit better than one of the other ones we talked about. Um, they've got a new kicker, Jack Olson. He uh, or a new starting kicker, I guess. He was 0 for 1 on field goals in 2022, but he did also get 1 for 1 on point after. They had the worst return game in 2022. Um, but AJ Henning, one of the wide receivers they brought in from Michigan, um, he'll not only be an asset, I think, as a pass catcher on offense for them, but he should provide them a weapon in the return game, bolting punts and kicking. I'm interested to see because one of um, Fitzgerald's things on special teams was like just secure the ball take the fair catch and we'll move from there you know they weren't a big return game uh kind of team so I'm, I'm curious to see with another guy at the helm if if they take more chances and you think that that might be a fun way you know to kind of surprise and maybe keep them in in some games and like hey this is something that we've got that teams don't typically prepare for against northwestern we'll we'll pull this out a time or two and we'll we'll see what we can do in the in that punt return game and in the kickoff return and you know they might catch a few teams off guard yeah with the with with risk reward, yeah, I think I think you do take your chance to try to steal some yards with your return game, knowing what offense you're going to be throwing out on the field. Um, and again, with with Henning, he's a he is a true weapon. Like I yep. I think he he can provide a little bit of a spark for them there. So nice, yeah. Who do you want to be in this matchup? I'll let you pick. I'll be in you. Perfect. Okay. And I <laughs> will be Nebraska. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're going to hand it to him, huh? Okay. Well, I mean, they are Northwestern, right? Yeah, the Northwestern actually, University. Yeah, and we're you think, UNL. Yeah. So I'm honestly on. So actually, I've I've looked at the history of this this whole NU thing. Maybe we've talked about it before. I think the, we have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Northwestern side, like, it, or I was until I found out that they they actually gave up NU at one point in their history, and so I feel like Nebraska should be able to have it because we fucking kept it. You just said you were on Northwestern side. I was, and then you were like. But they gave it up. They had they were I was on that because it was Northwestern University and you. Oh, okay. And then I found out that at one oh. point in their history they said, Well, we don't want to be NU or something like that. And then so I was like, Well, no, okay, if you guys don't want it, then we we get it. It's yeah. ours. So we're NU. Yeah, knowledge university. Good one. Everyone loves that joke, I don't they? I fucking hate that joke. I hate that joke and I also hate that people the way that people hate that joke. I hate that hating that joke has become a thing. Does that make sense? Tell me more about that, Drew. <laughs> now that you're on the couch. Mm. 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 Complain and celebrate. Mm. Isn't that what we call this new podcast? <laughs> yes, yeah. All right. You okay. be... You be uh, I'll be Northwestern. Okay, I'll be Nebraska. You ready? On three. One, <laughs> two, three. Six. 44. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I think that score's actually happened before, not not too far off. Yeah. I think Nebraska's going to have some good success. 
uh, offensively and defensively. Yeah, I think it's too much to ask anything of Northwestern. Um, I don't. I honestly don't think that they win a conference game this year. I don't think anybody is going to be, you know, looking at them to improve <laughs> at all, um, despite the fact that they almost have nowhere to go but up. There's there's one one more step down they could take, and that is there to is. have Nebraska beat them. <laughs> <laughs> they have not had a winless season since 1989. I don't expect them to go. And winless. I don't think I don't think they will either. No. They have a they have a um, what you UTEP and Howard yeah. I think are are almost guaranteed wins. Howard for sure. And then again, man, I don't know. Like they could steal. I a, a win from another low. They could beat Nebraska. They I don't. Could. I don't put past. But I mean, the with with the transfer portal and with the way that teams are able to kind of rebuild as they need to now, I don't put anyone anything past anyone. If a team were to have a breakout season, it's more a matter of stringing those seasons together. Can you do it twice? Can right. you do it two years in a row? Well, Northwestern has a disadvantage in that they can't just re. Right. They can't flip their roster. Right. They can't do it. So it, it will be interesting to see how things go. And like you said, I think that is a great point that you made, um, not letting Braun kind of evolve as a defensive coordinator and see how that goes. I mean, I think that was a, an excellent point. So um, it is kind of upsetting for him. But like like we said, I, I think that he's a, a good guy in charge to help. Yeah, I, I think that he's still going to he's going to he's going to learn a lot and still grow and evolve. Um, his career took a very just a sharp turn. And um, ultimately, like depending on who who he is, I guess it it could end up for the better for him, and for honestly, it might end up for the better for a lot of these kids that are sticking out in this program. Um, just you know, stroke of luck having him there to lead. So yeah. Well, I think it's time for you to uh, to bring us home. Let's do this. That does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who turned tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Thunderhead Brewing Company by visiting thunderheadbrewing.com. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. With the preseason in full swing, don't forget to check out our first two preview episodes on Nebraska's non-conference and Big Ten East opponents, already live wherever podcasts are found. Then join us next week with a return to Loop Brewing in McCook, Nebraska, while we discuss the back half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Sports Network Production.